Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Happy Hour Friday starts now here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, where today it's your final day to enter to win tickets to go see the weekend. Get the mobile app, enter to win, fill out the form tonight at 5 o'clock. I'll announce the winning name for the tickets to see the weekend. So if you haven't already, download the app, enter the form on the app, and if I call your name tonight at 5 o'clock during Happy Hour Friday with the PT... You're going to go see the weekend next Thursday night at the link in Philadelphia. Speaking of Philadelphia, we got gotcha. you. Phillies get a, a uh, series win over the Nats. Much needed. Had to win that series. Should have won that series. Should have swept that series, I should say. We got you covered on that. Phillies start a four-gamer tonight in St. Louis against the Cards. We'll get you the pitching matchup, the particulars, and more. What else is happening? Summer League last night. Got a thought on the Summer League game. The NBA free agent period kind of hit a lull, but the Kevin Durant stuff has followed it. And the Flyers have made a trade this afternoon. Kevin Durso, our Flyers insider, going to join us at 345 today to give us the insight on the trade. The Flyers have acquired, uh, interestingly enough, a uh, right-handed defensive man, uh, Tony D'Angelo. Many of you may have re- recognized that name. He's actually been a guest on the Sports Bash before. We have had uh, Tony D'Angelo on the show. Uh, D'Angelo's a local guy. He's got some local connections. He's also a guy who's had some trouble in his past uh, that caused him to be released by the New York Rangers. And he ended up last year basically signing for uh, very little he played, uh, signed a one-year, $1 million deal with the uh, Carolina Hurricane last year. So uh, he is due for a big contract. And then the Flyers went ahead, traded a fourth-round pick in this year's draft, a third-round year, a third round pick in next year's draft, and a second-round pick in the 2024 draft, and a seventh-round pick in a future draft as well to get D'Angelo. Then they signed him to a two-year contract that will give him $5 million per season now D'Angelo as we mentioned he's a guy uh, he had a great season last year when you look at it he's a guy he's a right-handed defenseman something the Flyers have really lacked Uh, he can um, basically uh, he's a defenseman who can score and 10 goals 51 points in 64 games last year with Carolina um, he was a really, really big contributor for those Ranger teams back in 2019 and 2020. He scored 53 points with the Rangers that season in 68 games, and then he got into some trouble. The Rangers end up cutting him. He lands back on his feet in Carolina, and now here he is in Philadelphia. So the Flyers uh, make that deal 
this afternoon to get Tony D'Angelo, and then they sign him to an extension. And, you know, it's an interesting, you know, we we don't often lead off with the Flyers, but this move's interesting because I guess the, the, the question is, what's the message from the Flyers? Who do they think they are? You know, yesterday we had Durso on the show, and I asked him, do the Flyers have a false sense of where they are and who they are? And, and he kind of said, yeah, I, I think they kind of do. And then they go and make a trade like this, where Tony D'Angelo is a guy, you make a trade for Tony D'Angelo, aren't you kind of saying to yourself, we think we're pretty good? Now, you get Tony D'Angelo, you add him to your defense, Provorov, you know, obviously had a down year last year. Um, I think a lot of this really depends on, does this trade work if, in fact, you know, I would imagine your top pairing is like a D'Angelo and Provorov. Do you put those two guys together? Or does this work because you think D'Angelo and Ryan Ellis can play together? Can Ryan Ellis even play? I mean, so I think this trade is very interesting. What's the messaging? Remember last year they made the trade to go get Ristolainen. He didn't really make a huge impact, but you gave up a lot to get him last year. So D'Angelo, Provorov, Ristolainen, Ellis got cam york is a young guy i don't know what's the message with this deal i'm looking forward to talking to durso about that today because it's a controversial deal because of his background and what about what they gave up to get him did they give up too much i mean they they, they gave up a lot of draft picks but they spread the draft picks out over multiple drafts so i don't know read into the deal what you want but i think the messaging from the flyers is interesting i think the messaging is we don't think we're in a rebuild. We think that we can win with this healthier crew. I think the other thing you got to include in there, Mike, is I think this is a sign that they have no confidence in Ryan Ellis's timetable. I think this is a sign they're like, look, we don't know when Ellis is coming back. We need to get another guy who can go back there and play because you met the, the names you mentioned before. Provorov, we know who he is. Rista Lyon had a good second half of the year last year once he got his legs under him. Sanheim has gotten better, but he's still who he is. And you could argue that Cam York still might be a year or two away from really being who he's going to be. So D'Angelo can be a guy that you'd be, be like, look, put him on the second line. That way you get two good offensive D-men Proveroff on the first line, D'Angelo on the second line, and at least you got the depth in case that Ryan Ellis, what if Ellis doesn't play at all this upcoming year? You got to make sure you got somebody back there. Well, they get a guy who's 26 years old. I think what we forget about D'Angelo is, because he's had a little bit of a rocky background, is that he is a younger guy. I mean, he's in his prime years. He's 26. He's not 22, 23, but he's not 30, 32. He's in the middle right there. So right. you're hoping with that two-year extension to be getting – You've already got some good years from D'Angelo. In New York, he had the one really big year. Last year, he had a big year. Now you're hoping to possibly get his best years on this two-year deal. Do you think part of this might also be who the coach is? Is it something where maybe Chuck Fletcher talked to Tortorella, and Tortorella's like, give me this guy. I will be able to get the best out of him. I'm imagining that the coach had a sign off on, yes, I could use this guy. I, I have a relationship with this guy. I know this guy. Or I want to work with this guy. Now, I definitely think Tortorella is saying, hey, you're going to be good players. I'll take them. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think coaches think in a way like fans do, where, ah, uh, what kind of move is this? We're, we're, we're not ready for that kind of move. Give me better players, right? Um, and what he gets is, you know, a smooth skating, right-handed, um, puck-moving defenseman, which how many times have you been able to describe a Flyers defender like that? I mean, Proveroff's supposed to be like that. He had a down year. Uh, Spare was a guy that you were hoping could be like that, but he kind of disappointed in that role. Uh, I remember last year when he signed with Carolina, uh, their GM, Don Waddell, said, quote, we've done a lot of background work on this player. and We're confident that he can be a positive addition to our group. You remember, he got bought out by the Rangers after just six games, and he was basically um, he got into an altercation, if you remember, with the goaltender. I mean, he got into a Basically, a verbal altercation uh, with the Rangers' backup goaltender following a game. He got waived by the team. And that was their last straw, by the way. Let's not forget that he had a couple other situations where he had said things in public that people didn't like. And, you know, the Rangers were kind of like, oh, well, he's a really good player, you know. But, you know, once you go after your teammate, I think that was with the Rangers. Like, all right, enough's enough. Yeah, look, this wasn't right. This one incident that got him, and we say he has a little bit of a background. Now, part of he was a healthy scratch. He got into an altercation with one of the Ranger players. They end up waving him after that game. He was dismissed from the organization and basically sat out the rest of that year. The Rangers bought out the final year of a two-year $9.6 million contract. So he was a guy that the Rangers basically paid to go right they paid him to get get lost because from all reports you know he's a guy who obviously has uh some uh look he lives on the edge he's a guy who's very he's not afraid to speak his mind he's not afraid to chirp at guys on the ice you know i've heard interviews with him where he's said some things that even me make me be like oh man i don't know if i would have said it that way you know? well right and i mean he was doing this at a time where it feels like the world was in a little bit more decisive of a place not that it's right. gotten much better but he had been kind of just lashing out and just saying things that you know at that time were kind of like yo yo and he didn't seem to care all that much and um but the rangers the- stepped in and said yeah. listen we're we're gonna we're gonna this is what we're doing. But Mike, that might be the blessing in disguise in all this. When's the last time the Flyers had a villain on their side of the ice? Or had an the anti hero of Philadelphia? It's been a while since the Flyers had a bad boy. Maybe this is the kind of guy they need. Maybe they need a guy who other teams are gonna be like, Ugh, we gotta play the Flyers and D'Angelo. I mean, Ristolainen ain't no uh, church boy either. He's He's gotten mixed up with players in the past, too. So you may be building a D-line of a bunch of nasty boys to go out there and make people think twice when they come play Philadelphia. Well, and then you leave New York, you go to Carolina, maybe going to Carolina. and Clean up his image. Maybe that helped him getting out of the limelight. Now, keep in mind, he had been in Tampa Bay. He had been in Arizona. He had been with the Rangers. Uh, he had been bouncing around. Again, this is a guy... Um, he had been in the Tampa Bay organization and they got rid of him because of behavioral issues. Right. Right. He went to Arizona and was suspended there. Right. And they ended up getting rid of him because of behavioral problems. Right. He then goes to the Rangers 
And that ultimately ends because he gets into an altercation with a teammate. And by the way, he was not playing all that well when that happened. Right. He wasn't really playing at all at that point because he was already getting in trouble with other things. But before the year before that, he got kicked out of New York. He was an all-star. And he had a 50-point season the year before that. I think he had, what, a 30-point season. So this is a guy who started ascending in New York, couldn't keep his mouth shut, got in trouble, and got kicked out of another place. And Carolina was like, look, we're going to give you a chance, but you're on a short leash. And I think D'Angelo went to Carolina and proved to the rest of the league that, hey, I can I can grow up a little bit. That's what the hope is here. Because as we mentioned, the Rangers bought him out because of behavioral issues. Right. Arizona got rid of him because of behavioral problems. Tampa Bay didn't even give him an opportunity, basically, because, first off, they didn't think he was very good. And secondly, they thought the behavioral problems did not outweigh outweigh where he was at that time. So they just basically um, gave Lost up their on hands him. Of him. Carolina then signs him. They take a flyer, one year, $1 million. And look, this was a controversial signing, if you remember this, because of his reputation. And they brought him in. And from my understanding, you know, talking to a couple people about, you know, he didn't have any problems down there. Right. And now the Flyers, they're taking this on. So it's definitely something. Like I said, we don't generally open up with the Flyers, but... This is a offensive-minded defenseman. He's a right-handed shot. Um, he is a guy who has a lot of skill for that position. And he's a guy who will put the puck on the net. He gets a lot of assists. And he played a role on that Rangers team in 2019-2020. He was a big factor on that team. Uh, very interesting signing thing. And by the way... He's a local guy. He's got some, you know, people like that. Those Philly guys. He's from Washington Township, New Jersey. One other thing I want to bring up is, so in Carolina, he had Rod Brindamore. And Brindamore is a bit of a fire and brimstone guy. And that's why I brought up Tortorella earlier. You know, you're going from one coach to another who are kind of the same coach. And if D'Angelo showed that he can deal with what Brindamore does down in Carolina, you have to think that Chuck Fletcher... Part of his thinking is, hey, you had Brindamore. He's a fire and brimstone guy, but he's a player's coach. Now come to Philadelphia, you got Tortorella, also a fire and brimstone guy, but also he's a player's coach in some ways as well. So, you know, maybe for the Flyers, they're like, look, you've already shown us that you can handle this kind of environment. Right. Um, I'm interested to see it. We'll get Durso's take on it. You can read about it over at 97.3 ESPN.com. To add to that, you know, we keep it on the hockey front here. Hockey. The draft was last night. The Flyers didn't do anything in the draft, but they make the trade today for D'Angelo. They make the draft pick last night. And now after all of this, guys, there's a lot of whispers, almost not whispers. This almost feels, and we're going to have Keith Pompey on today. This almost feels like when Keith Pompey reported about two weeks in advance that the Sixers were going to sign P.J. Tucker to a three-year, $30 million deal. And then it happened. Well, now you are hearing a lot of whispers regarding the Flyers and that they are going to go after and sign Johnny Goudreau. And part of this is why I think there's a lot of validity behind it is because there's contractual 
stuff attached to it. Correct. That the Flyers, if they make this trade, the way it works out, that they could actually give him an eight-year contract. Um, and that really, uh, he wants to come back. He's from the area. I think him and D'Angelo actually know each other. Yeah. And that that could be the next piece that falls here, and that could happen by the end of the day. So, actually, no, the not by the end. The, the free agent period hasn't officially hasn't begun officially yet. Hasn't started no. yet, right. But they can still – so the way they were explaining it on NHL Network last night, because I know I'm the only person who watches NHL Network except from Durso, uh, one of the things they mentioned was that, hey, this is the first time the draft is back to normal. So what's happening? Durso brought that up here yesterday, that all the teams were back in Montreal. Right. They all had a, uh, had a chance. So guys are banging into each other. They're seeing each other. You're seeing agents. You're seeing other GMs. You're seeing other coaches. You know, how many conversations are happening right now that maybe wouldn't have happened in the past? That's the first thing. Second thing is, I've heard multiple people bring this up. Durso has brought this up. I've heard when I've had Scott Laughlin from Sirius XM NHL Raider bring this up. I've heard Emily Kaplan on ESPN TV bring this up. Calgary has to make a decision between Gaudreau and Kachuk. They can't max out both of them. And how many times in the NBA, Mike, do we talk about, you know, hey, you got to pay all these guys, right? If you're going to have a super team, quote unquote, you got to have the cap space to pay all these guys. Well, Calgary's got a lot of guys who are in the same age range, and they can't pay them all. So for Calgary, you're in a situation where you might be choosing right now between Kachuk and Goudreau, and well, that might be why he ends up with the Flyers. The minute Goudreau, he signed a six-year, $40 million deal with Calgary back in 2016-2017, the, the minute the ink was dry on that, people were saying when that contract's up, he's going to go back to Philadelphia. Now here we are six years later and that's exactly what we're hearing is that Goudreau, Philadelphia, make it happen. Could it happen? We think he wants to be here. Last night, if you were watching the draft, Kevin Weeks on the draft, and Weeks was the guy who broke the news about Tortorella, they were kind of joking, hey, Johnny Goudreau uh, to Philadelphia, and Weeks said, yes, 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 that's happening. So, he probably sounds like he knows something that we all don't know or that we're all kind of in on a- a- anyway. You know what I mean? So um, it looks like you're going to have a Tony D'Angelo and Johnny Goudreau pairing, not defensive pairing, but those two players come into Philadelphia. And I guess, you know, you wonder, where does that put this team? They were the worst team in the division. They were the worst team in the conference Last year, do those two players now keep in mind? Couturier was hurt last year. Kevin Hayes was hurt last year, um, and Hayes missed time because is he had death in the family. So you had a situation where you know his whole whole year was turned upside down. Right, you had a lot of injury issues to some key players. Getting those players back and and having a Couturier, Hayes, Konechny, Farabee, Cam Atkinson, Proverall, Ristolainen. Carter Hart, Johnny Goudreau, possibly, uh, Tony D'Angelo. Does that push your pile to say, hey, I'm intrigued by that team? We talked last year, Mike, about how the Flyers had attendance issues. Does adding a Goudreau and adding a D'Angelo entice people back into the building? Well, I mean, you get two local guys. I think it gets people excited from at least to give them another shot, to dip your toe back in the water, right? Because ultimately, it is a business. What? How many times have you mentioned with the Sixers? 
The process was not about winning and losing. It was a business decision, right? Well, how much of what the Flyers are doing right now is a business decision? They're like, look, we put out a poor product last year. The fans told us we don't want it. We got to give them a better product. Well, the Flyers need to put out a better product. They got a better player today, but I don't know where it puts them. We'll talk to Durso today at 345 here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app if you're going to the beach today, because no beach tomorrow. Looks like a pretty good chance of rain. But beach today, boardwalk today, bike ride today. Download the app and take the show on the go. And if you have the app, you can win tickets to see the weekend. Download the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Enter the form. And if I call your name tonight at 5 o'clock, you're going to see the weekend next Thursday at Lincoln Financial Field. Mike McGarry this hour, Kevin Durso next hour, football at four, plus the headlines, Keith Pompey. Happy hour Friday with the PT. We got a busy show on this Friday. What are you drinking this weekend? Let us know as always. Give me a suggestion of something you're having this weekend. I need to find something new to try. I'm on the search for a new brew. Give me a suggestion out there. 609 403 0973-609-403-0973. Give me a suggestion, a new brew for this weekend. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 97.3. Now, back to the Sports Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, 226, Friday afternoon. Happy hour Friday. What do you have this weekend? Give me a good suggestion. I need a nice new one. 609 412 I do not recommend giving out your personal number. Caught myself there. How many people's phone numbers do you actually know? Off the top of my head? Yeah, like if I say, what's their number? Do you know anybody's phone number? Uh, I know my dad's. But part of that's because uh, he he has his phone attached to his Price Plus card. Why would that help you know his? Because you got to punch it in when you go to the store. Oh, when you're there and you don't have the card, right. you put the phone number in. Yeah, gotcha. put the phone number in. So, yeah, how many people out there? How many phone numbers do you have? Like still in your like, I have some friends from growing up that I still remember their number, but that's about it. I mean, I remember my house number when I was younger. Yeah, I know my house number when I was a kid. I got that. But, like, if you ask me anybody's phone number right now, I don't have any clue. Yeah, I think the only other numbers I know aside from some numbers when I was younger is the station numbers here. That's it. Right, like, if someone (laughs) says, like, what's somebody's number, you have no idea. Yeah, you got to look it up on your phone. No idea. Yeah, to type their name. I don't even know the first three numbers of my girlfriend's phone number, to be honest with you. Is that good, bad, indifferent? I think it's indifferent. Is that bad? I, I would I would say most people don't know phone numbers anymore. No. There was a time like I grew up in Margate when I was a youngster, Ventnor. 
I lived on the island, and you used to say, hey, are you an 822 or an 823-er? Some people were 822, others were 823. The Ocean City was similar to that. It was 399 or 398. Yeah, and that's about all you knew. Like That's all I remember now is either an 822 or an 823. Now, my one buddy who I just ran into the other day, and I still remember his phone number. I said, hey, you were an 823-er. <laughs> that's how I remember because he was an 823-er. Nice. Right? Um, all right, Phillies tonight. Series starts with St. Louis. They did their job. They won the series. I would have liked to have seen this sweep. They should have swept that series against Washington. They should have. You get Wheeler Wainwright tonight. All right, it's a great pitching matchup. Wheeler Wainwright. Now, the rest of the series, because it's a four game set in this series, all right? You get a four game set now in St. Louis. And the way this starts off is Philadelphia and St. Louis are both neck and neck for that third wild card spot. All right. So the Phillies in the East Division, they actually are eight games back now, even though they won last night. They're eight games back. They're not making up any ground in the in the East. But in the wild card is where they've made up a bunch of ground and overtaken. But they enter this weekend in a virtual tie with St. Louis. They're one percentage point. The Phillies' winning percentage is 530, and St. Louis' is 529. So this is a big series. If somebody can somehow wrestle three out of four games in this series, that's huge. Now, if somebody sweeps the series, you're going to be four games up on the other one. That's monumental. And if you split this thing... Well, you're right back where you started. But there is one caveat. They were saying last night on Philly's postgame live that if you split this series with the Cardinals, you will hold a tiebreaker. So if we are at the end of the season and it comes down to a tiebreaker between Philly and St. Louis, Philly's in the playoffs, but they have to win at least two games. Yeah. So you got have Wheeler to. Wainwright tonight. Saturday, Sunday, you got two afternoon games. Tomorrow, 2-15, it's Gibson and Hudson. Sanchez, Christopher Sanchez goes on Sunday in a 2-15 start. And then Monday night, you got Nola back on the mound versus uh, Miklas. Yeah, you got two of their best pitchers again, but you got a two-day gap in between without their two best pitchers. They were showing the stat, what was on, uh, yeah, Sunday Night Baseball about how Wainwright and Mikolas have one record, and the rest of the starting staff is just an abomination. Yeah, well, you have your two best pitchers matched up against their two best pitchers. Right, so you're hoping that if you want to get three out of four in this series, you got to win one of those two. I don't know which one you prefer to win, but you know you would think that you should win every time Wheeler goes to the mound, but Wainwright is still pretty good. But you, you, you got some runs off him last time, and then... Uh, Nicholas, he's a guy that, you know, the great mustache, the great look. I know you're a fan of the mustache, Mike, over there. Yeah, Nicholas has a look. I mean, he's trying hard. <laughs> I always say, anybody who's going out of their way to have a look, you better be really good at something. Like, if you're going to go on the mound with that type of mustache, you're going to go up there with like a mohawk, mm -hmm. or you're just going to do something to draw attention to yourself, you better be really good. And a lot of times, guys that do that are not good enough. 
Is he good enough? Like, you don't see Scherzer rock a mustache or a mohawk or have a full <laughs> arm sleeve tattoo. Right, right. You know, he's just Scherzer. You get some other guy who's trying so hard to draw attention to himself, and he's given up, you know, his ERA's, you know, 547, his whip's 142, you know? No, if you're going to be that guy, you need to be Scherzer, DeGrom. Like, DeGrom can have a mohawk, but you know what? DeGrom doesn't go mohawk. Trout had a mohawk for a little bit. Who? Trout did. Mm, not he had the thing where he shaved the side of his head yeah, and he had the hair on the not top. Not distinct enough. Wasn't distinct enough. I don't even remember it, to be honest with you. I'm talking about where that's your signature look. Where you go out of your way to do that. It's like these kids nowadays. They purposely shave their head into the style of a mullet. Yeah, you know that's what I'm saying? weird. I've seen that. Like, they weird. go out of their way to say, hey, I want to get a mullet. So you got all these kids walking around with mullets now. Yeah, it looks ridiculous. Well, I mean, they don't want to listen to anybody who's older telling them what to do, but they have no problem going to get a hairstyle that went out in 1984. That's what Trout used to wear, so. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I but remember. But that's it. not like... That's not, like, really drawing attention, that right there. Well, also, when you're wearing a hat, you can't see it half the time. Yeah, I'm talking about someone who, you know... Like Raleigh Fingers with a crazy mustache or something. Yeah, where they're just doing something that completely, you know, that's their signature. That's what they're known for. You know, you had, like, Charlie Sheen in uh, Major League, you know, when he yeah. had that kind of hairdo. You better be somebody outstanding. You better Otherwise, be wild thing. right? You're just drawing attention to yourself. <laughs> you're drawing more attention to yourself. Now it's a, it's a pretty uh, big series. I know it's only July, but anytime you're playing the team directly with you in the standings, you've got to get some separation. And as you just said, if you split this series and then something comes to the end of the year, because I guess they don't play the Cardinals again. I think this is the last time they play them the rest of the year. Correct? Right. That makes sense. I mean, they just played them three here, so. You played them four there. You take you took two out of three the last time. If you take two out of four this time, you would win the series 4-3. So if for whatever reason, the head-to-head battle, and you end up tying, you would get that. So that's why this is a pretty big series. And then you've got that Toronto series. We're going to ask Mike McGarry about the whole pitching situation. Because right now, Bailey Falter, he got sent back to the minors. Now, are they going to call him back up to pitch that game on Tuesday? That would be his turn in the rotation. And you remember, the Phillies had to rearrange their rotation a little bit. Now, keep in mind, this Toronto series could be a whole sorts of mess. Right. And not just because of the COVID stuff, but because of the fact that when you're rearranging your rotation, what else are you rearranging? You know, if you go with a bullpen game in one of those Toronto games, I mean, how does that throw you off for the rest of the road trip? Well, and they don't have a lot of starters. It's not like they can call a starter up. Right. Like, Falter's the guy. I mean, he Falter would be, is the I guy. I would imagine that they sent him down just to get some extra bullpen help for this four-game uh, four series. I'm assuming. I mean, I know Brogdon just went on a, um, a rehab assignment, so I don't think he'll be coming up yet. But. but I would imagine Falter will be up for that game in Toronto, unless he can't go to Toronto. That I don't know either. That's a, another question. Yeah. I mean, we may learn that by accident anyway. If Falter's not there in Toronto, well, maybe it's they his turn to pitch. Now, that they did say on the broadcast yesterday that Eflin had been throwing, but I don't think he's going to be ready to pitch on Tuesday. I mean, if he is, I'd be shocked. No, I don't even think he's going to be off the injured list. So I'm just saying, they were, they were talking about yesterday that all these injured guys that had 
been around the ballpark. Camargo, they said, was back doing some stuff. Segura, apparently he's a lot further ahead of schedule than they thought. Um, and they said F1 was another guy that was there yesterday kind of throwing the ball around uh, and that he's feeling some, uh, you know, much better. So there's your matchup for the weekend. We'll dive into it a little deeper with Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. He'll join us on the other side. Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget, download the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Today's your last day to enter to win tickets to go see the weekend on Thursday. If I call your name tonight at 5 o'clock, you're going to see the weekend on Thursday, July 14th at Lincoln Financial Field. The app is free. The tickets are free. And they're from me, the Sports Bash, live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Happy Hour Friday here on the Sports Pass. I'm Mike Gill. 609-403-0973. Text board is open. If you're listening on the free mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. As always, Happy Hour Friday. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is with us as we take a look at the Phillies' beak weekend against the Cardinals and some other things that are happening. We'll look back to that series win against the Nationals. Should have been a sweep. But there's uh, Oduble Herrera in center field. I'll ask you, Mike, is it time to finally cut ties with Herrera? Does he have any usefulness left on this roster? Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, maybe after the season. But for now, I think you got to keep him on the roster because uh, every game I've ever been to, somebody's played center field. And Beerling in that, I'd give him a shot. Right now, I think you got to keep Oduble around, uh, you know, simply because – you don't really have anybody else to play the position. Mickey Moniak has played well defensively, but offensively he just hit it all. And although Adubel is struggling right now, you know there's going to be a three-week stretch or a two-week stretch at some point in the season where he's going to get hot, and you might want to ride him out there. Well, would you say the other night, I was listening to the game on the radio for at that time, and the I don't know who the analyst was, but he suggested that it would have been a tough catch and that uh, he didn't really think he should have caught the ball. Would you say otherwise? I think a good center fielder makes the play. I don't think it was an easy play. I think it was a hard-hit ball. But I put it to you this way. If you're a playoff team, if you're a good baseball team, that ball's got to be caught. I mean, it was one of three outfield balls that night that kind of had to be caught and, and cost the Phillies uh, the ball game. So would have been a difficult play, but a good team, a playoff team, a team with championship aspirations has a center fielder who makes that play. Absolutely. Agree with that. Um, you know, of the three guys, I guess I ask now, does center field almost become one of the highest priorities that they need to fix? Yeah, I think they've got to fix it. I mean, if you can get a bat uh, and, and that guy's a center fielder, that, that's a big plus. The problem is you look around baseball and, and there aren't a lot of great center fielders. It's it, so, uh, a lot of teams are struggling to sort of 
fill that spot. I mean, I would almost take a guy defensively. I think with Castellanos and right and Schwaber and left, you almost need a center fielder who can go foul pole to foul pole and catch everything, <laughs> uh, you know, catch everything out there. You know, the closest guy they have to that is Moniak defensively. I think Veerling is pretty good defensively, and I think he hits the ball hard. His average isn't great, but you watch at bat after at bat, and he, you know, he hits the ball hard. I'd give him a chance now to play the center field position on on a daily basis. It's definitely a priority is that center field spot, but I just don't know how many great center fielders or available center fielders there are walking around there for whatever reason. You know, there seems to be a dearth of center fielders throughout baseball. I go back to the conversation we had on Wednesday, Mike, where we were talking about NOLA and how important of a game it was. Now, they end up losing that game, but did you get anything from NOLA in that game? Yeah, well, NOLA pitches well, right? And and he, But to me, again, you know, I thought the Herrera play took NOLA off the hook a little bit. You know, preceding that play, there were two soft hits, one through the shift, another soft single, so he'd run his on first and second. But, you know, he freely admits he made a bad pitch to Garcia, who really drove the ball. You know, Garcia hit the ball hard on the Herrera play. I, I thought the Herrera play sort of took Nola off the um, off the hook a little bit. Sometimes it seems to me that Nola just finds a way to sort of lose games. If, if the Phillies score two runs, he gives up three. If the, Skilly, if the Phillies score five, he gives up six. And, you know, that, that inning before that, Schwaber had just hit the home run to, to give the Phillies a 2-1 lead. Nola really needed to come out and, and throw a, a shutdown inning there. And even if Herrera makes that catch, there's no guarantee. You know, the runners are going to tag on the play. There's no guarantee the Nationals don't score that inning. So I thought the, the Herrera play took Nola off the hook a little bit, uh, you know, for that game. So that being so... That being said there, um, you know, he goes into the eighth inning that night. I mean, I I agree with what you're saying to some extent, but it, I, I felt like Nola, why he didn't get that shut down, shut out, I, I still feel that he pitched into the eighth inning and gave his team a chance to win. Isn't that what we're looking for or have been looking for more consistently from him? Yeah, but I guess I'm looking for a little bit more from him, right? I'm looking for him to come out and shut the door down there. I'm looking for him to not make a mistake to Garcia there. I'm looking for him to, instead of throw with runners on first and second, not get a pitch up and allow him to drive the ball. Maybe uh, throw get a double play there or get a strikeout there or something like that. So, um, yeah, I'm just looking for more from Nola in that situation. It just seems to me uh, throughout his career – uh, sometimes, more often than not, he just, again, just seems to pitch well enough to lose the ball game, basically. And I thought, you know, that was the case uh, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Mike McGarry for the Press of Atlantic City. Uh, they got a big series this weekend. Uh, you wrote about must-win. Rob Thompson's the right manager so far. Uh, give us some details on why he's the right guy so far. Well, I just think he set a, a tone. I do think, you know, Girardi was, uh, you know, uh, famed for his intensity, was an intense guy, and I think maybe that wore on the team a little bit. And I think Thompson has kind of had a lighter tone. Uh, I think he's a competitive guy, a very competitive guy, a baseball guy. But I just think, you know, he's communicating with the players. As I wrote in that column, I saw him walking around the outfield, talking to the different players, seeing how they were doing and things like that. And, and look... The, the, the proof is in the results. 
uh, you know, the Phillies, Girardi and the players insisted, hey, we're going to turn it around, we're going to turn it around, we're going to turn it around. They didn't turn it around until Rob Thompson was named the manager. So now he gets the credit. That's why I put so far. So far, he's the right guy. We'll see uh, at the end of September if he's the right guy. And, and Thompson knows that. You know, he said, uh, you know, when I asked him how it's been, he said it's been fine so far. He understands. You know, he's got to keep winning here. But so far, he's set the perfect tone. And, you know, he's off to uh, as good a start as any Phillies manager since 1892, for God's sakes. (laughs) So uh, I don't know if that says more about the Phillies' lack of baseball success or Thompson's skills as a manager. But anytime you've done something for the first time in 132 years, you got to be on the right track. Well, uh, Phillies will take their, uh, you know, Wild card, they are the third team in the wild card against a team that is nip and tuck with them right now in St. Louis. And they're going to do so with a bullpen that has pitched much better, Mike. Are we starting to believe that this Phillies bullpen is settling in and that I don't want to say has become a strength of the team, but is it a worry now? Yeah, it's been a strength the past two weeks, so uh, in the past two to three weeks, seems to coincide with Jose Alvarado coming back from AAA. Uh, he seemed to found himself down in AAA where he's, uh, you know, throwing his 100-mile-hour fastball over the plate. He's got dynamic stuff. You know, Sir Anthony Dominguez, whether it's the ninth inning or the eighth inning, you know, you look and Thompson often pitches him against the toughest part of the opposing team's order. You know, he's done a great job there. They're getting good outings from, from Brad Hand. Guys like Nick Nelson are pitching well. Connor Brogdon was pitching well before he got COVID. You know, hopefully he'll be back soon. You know, the bullpen that was really a nightmare the past three weeks has been a strength. And, you know, relievers tend to go blow hot and cold. You know, if you look at it, the Phillies bullpen was due to have a good year. You know, you couldn't be, you know, Girardi once said, uh, I think after the, the 2020 season that we could have told our relievers could have told what the opposing team, what they were throwing and they would have performed better than they did, you know, that season. So the Phillies bullpen was due for a turnaround and, and maybe this is it. And if you have a good bullpen, I mean, you know, if you have a good bullpen and you hit home runs, you know, you can win a lot of baseball games. Right, yeah, speaking of home runs, Schwarber has been on fire right now. Have you ever covered a guy who has been quite this hot? No, not at all. I, I looked it up the other day. I think since June 1st, he's averaged a home run every seven and a half at bat. And to put that in perspective, Babe Ruth in 1927, when he hit 60 home runs, hit a home run every nine at bat. So if you're hitting home runs faster than Babe Ruth, you're a pretty good baseball player. And that's what Kyle Schwaber is, is doing right now. I've never seen a guy this hot. Yeah, and there's a lot of discussion with him hitting in the leadoff spot. You know, do you keep him there? Do you want him to hit with guys on base? You know, you wrote about, uh, thanks to Schwaber, they're on pace for the playoffs. But can they keep it up with him in that spot? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. They don't have a prototypical leadoff hitter right now. If they had Ricky Henderson on the team, <laughs> obviously he would bat leadoff. They don't have that guy on the team right now. So they don't have a leadoff hitter. And look at it this way. He's the hottest hitter right now. And if he bats leadoff, uh, you know, he gets more at bats than anybody. And plus it puts him in a position where the other team can't pitch around him as much. You know, at least his first time up, they're probably going to pitch to him. So uh, yeah, right now you got to give Schwaber as many bats as possible, and uh, they're doing that right now. All right, this series, uh, by the way, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, his column is called Must Win. 
Uh, where would you put that on the pantheon of must wins this series against the Cardinals? Well, I'm not going to say you got to go four and zero in there, but I think you know two and two is a must. You can't. Uh, this is a very key road trip. It's it's nine games. You know, I'd sign for five and four or four and five right now. But, uh, you know, you can't, you know, drop three out of four or all four in St. Louis. And then, you know, who knows what's going to happen in Toronto. And Miami is a place that they've struggled in the past. So you can't come out of this road trip two and seven, you know, three and six. You know, you got to be four and five, five and four minimum, uh, I think, heading into the all-star break. What is uh, they had a change and rearrange their pitching rotation a little bit. Uh, is that are you anticipating uh, some news when they go to Toronto? Yeah, I think they are. I think, you know, as we all know, some vaccinated, unvaccinated players cannot play in uh, in Toronto. They shifted their uh, pitching rotation so that Kyle Gibson will throw Saturday in St. Louis, and then he will throw in Miami, uh, you know, and he will miss Toronto. They sent Bailey Falter down yesterday. He was scheduled to pitch Tuesday in Toronto. We'll see what comes out following that. It looks like now that Wheeler will pitch Wednesday in Toronto and that they will have to piece things together uh, for the Tuesday game. And manager Rob Thompson has said that he will address, you know, players' vaccination status in St. Louis this weekend. But early signs are, you know, by switching around uh, the rotation, you know, everybody can sort of uh, add up one and one and get two right there. Right, yeah. Well, and you don't, you know, I, I talked about it. You got this Toronto thing, and then you're going down to South Beach, and uh, the schedule in South Beach, Mike, you got like an afternoon game, and then a real early afternoon game. Uh, that gives you more time to hang out there at night. I mean, you don't want to go into the All-Star break thinking, ah, I got plenty of time to rest. And the next thing you know, you've just got swept by Toronto and swept by the Marlins. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I said, you know, all the good that they've done since Thompson has taken over, right? Because of the way they played early in the season, they've left themselves no room for error. You know, the Mets got off to a very fast start, and they've kind of, Sputted along at, uh, at some points, you know, the end of June, the beginning of July. They gave themselves a, a big margin forever with their start. They're still on pace to win 100 games. The Phillies have no margin forever. So every good thing that Rob Thompson's done so far, and that's why I use the word so far in today's column, it could all go out the window if you have a two and seven or one and eight road trip. And you're right. They're going to three cities, St. Louis, Toronto, and Miami that traditionally have not been kind to the Phillies. Uh, you can read Mike McGarry in the press of Atlantic city at AC press McGarry on Twitter. Mike McGarry, everybody here on this happy hour Friday. Have a great weekend, pal. All right. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you later. Thanks. Right, Mike's back on Monday show. We'll recap the Phillies. And the Cardinals, and they'll be playing that game against the Cardinals, a fourth game on Monday. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash. Download the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. we got tickets to see the weekend. I'll be giving those away tonight. Download the app, tap the app, fill out the form. If I call your name tonight at 5 o'clock, you're going to see the weekend next Thursday at Lincoln Financial Field. Download the app, 973ESPN.com slash app. Take us on the beach, the boardwalk, the bike ride, the dog walk, wherever you're heading. The Sports Bash can come with you with the free mobile app. Thanks to First Bank of Sea Isle. 
This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you till 6 o'clock tonight. We've got you taking... uh, Plenty of detours around town today to get you ready for the weekend. I'm going to send you all over the place because I need someone to give me a good suggestion on a new brew. I need a new brew this weekend. That's what I'm looking for. I said the other day, you know, somebody asked me, actually, I was having this conversation with somebody today. It's not like, hey, you know, what kind of uh, beer do you like? I said, I, you know, I like an IPA, yada, yada. Well, what do you drink? I said, you know, I've been drinking the same brew for about two years now. I gotta find something a little different to get into the repertoire. So I need a good suggestion out there. Anybody got a good suggestion of an IPA I should drink this weekend? 609-403-0973. Now I saw you bouncing out and about this past weekend. Did you get anything good? Well, you're, you were drinking, you're a wine guy. No, I'm an everything guy. I, I got beer, I got wine, I got vodka, I got whiskey. Wow, whiskey, vodka all on the same day? Well, no, every day is different, you know? So like, you know, Saturday night was beer and whiskey, and then Monday was wine. One bourbon, one shot, one beer? Like, um, one of the things I really like is one establishment I go to, the, the bartender knows me now, so I walk in, and he just puts the beer down in front of me. He Same one had, all the time. Well, he knows I always want at least one, which okay. is, you know, that's local what, IPA. That's where know. you're starting off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking for something a little, little different this weekend, maybe. It's supposed to be rainy tomorrow, so I'm looking forward you know, a lot of people see rain on a weekend in the summer and get all dismayed. I'm actually looking forward. You know, I have that screened-in porch. Yes, you do. So I can just, you know, watch the rainstorm with a nice freshie. That's what I'm looking forward to. Last weekend was a long weekend. It was nice out the whole weekend. It was hot. People around. I'd like a nice rainstorm, maybe sitting on the porch with a little bit of my own thoughts. You know what I mean? I got you. I got you. So that's what I'm looking for. Send me a text, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973, or tweet at Mike Gill Show. you have any interest in Markeith Morris? Uh, marginal interest? Apparently, he <laughs> tweeted that he had some interest in playing for the Sixers. You know, he's a Philly guy. Yeah, the, the Morris twins are from Philadelphia. Right, so he is a free agent, and, uh, you know, he's a guy that did not play a whole hot, heck of a lot last year. He was hurt, and he tweeted out that he is, uh, you know, he. so I guess a fan tweeted at him. That's always a dangerous start. Well, when he day. responded to the fan, right? Mm-hmm. He says he's been wanting to play for his hometown team when the fan said, like, hey, come home and play in Philadelphia. And he said, I've been wanting to. That's believable. I can totally see him being like, hey, I want to come back home. Is he a guy that helps, though? 32 years old, averages about 11 points. Not a great three-point shooter. He's he's respectable, about 34%. If he's willing to be a depth guy, then, yeah, I think he has Well, that's what he would be. I mean, he'd be, like, your eighth, ninth. Like, you would be reshaping your bench entirely. Now, Morris is also a tough guy. I mean, he's a guy who has some attitude. He's got a little toot to him. Yeah, like if the, the Morris twins are guys who in the past, both of them have gotten significant minutes with other teams. So the question is, you know, I don't think he's going to get those kind of minutes here. So if he's willing to come home on a discount and be a, a big piece off the bench, I'm for that. Yeah. Well, I think, am I getting him at the, a minimum 
price is what I guess my biggest my biggest question would be. Am I getting him at a price that's like a minimal investment? I don't want to be paying him any money. I want to be able to make other moves. If he wants to come here because he likes being here, I'm okay with that. I don't find him to be a necessity. That would be what I would say to that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to pick him up. But, you know, hey, if, if he's willing to come here for a certain number and it's it works out for everybody, then sure. Okay, I'm weaving in some of the beers that are coming in, all right? I'm excited for this. Uh, Victor in Linwood says, Kate May Orange IPA. Uh, I like the Kate May stuff. I don't know that an orange IPA would be here's the thing, for me. You, from my experience, now remind, correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're not huge on like the citrus beers, no, right? No, and I like orange. I'm a, I'm a fan of an orange. Okay, but I don't think the orange beer would be something that I'm all in for because like the you know Kate May Brewery, they have a lot of those citrus beers. You know, they got you got, you got your crushes, you got your you know almost like a um, almost like shanty type. But they're like, but they're like IPA shanties, basically down there. Like I like them, but I'm not fully sure that's your cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, I like a Cape May IPA or something from the Cape May Brewery. I'm not sure the orange one, Victor, is where I'm going. But I appreciate the uh, the attempt there. I mean, maybe if I see it somewhere, I'm not going to say I won't give it a try. Like I really love their Orange Grove, but like I said, like that's not really your kind of beer. Was that what he's talking about? Uh, well, it's either that or the uh, the crush in it. There's, there's I've had two that different one. ones. I've actually had the crush in it. Okay. Yeah, that's a little too much for me. That's like a 9% or two. <laughs> they are. They're... I think that's a pretty high AV. Uh, if I remember ABV. correctly, the Grove, I think, was 7% when I had it. Uh, Mike, you need to check out the Seed in Atlantic City, one of the best up-and-coming breweries in the country. All beer is great, including the IPAs. Okay, now you're like the third person who has mentioned this seed place to me. Okay. I'm not familiar with it, but I've been told about it. Now, two weekends ago, I was up in Philly, and I was at a brewery up there. It was called, um, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. But I was talking to the guy who was the guy who owned the brewery up there. All right. And he was, there was another guy sitting in there having you know beer, and we started to talk. We actually got into this great conversation about breweries down the shore. And he was telling me a bunch of ones that he goes to. I was telling you about the. I actually texted you that day. Yeah, you were messaging asking me Asking for the day. name of one that was in Cape May because he says he drives down 50, 55 on his way to Sea Isle. And he stops at, like, all these different breweries. So another guy. I like the guy, way he thinks, by the way. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so another guy was there, and he jumped into the conversation. And... He had asked me, since I said I'm from down the shore, he had asked me if I had ever been to the seed. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So somebody after that had also asked me about the seed. And I said, somebody brought the seed up to me, but I'm not familiar with it. So now this is becoming a pattern. So I'm going to have to check this out. Right. Yeah, multiple people putting this on your radar. Is this a brewery in Atlantic City? I gotta look it up because I had not heard of it before you mentioned it to me. He says it's one of the best up and coming breweries in the country. Is that hyperbole or is that fact? Uh, I mean, up and coming, best up and coming brewery. I mean, depends on what you're comparing it to. Yeah, I was at a brewery in Philly. I should. Uh, what's the name of that place? It was Honest Something. I'll find it because I was there. I took a picture of the T-shirt because, you know, 
I'm that kind of guy. You know, I'm I'm patronizing your place. I want to do you right and get you get a T-shirt from the place that I was at so that, you know. So the seed refers to themselves not as a brewery, but a living beer project is what they call themselves. They are located in Atlantic City. The Humble Parlor, by the way, is where I was. Humble Parlor in Philadelphia. Okay. Interesting. Humble Parlor. So I was talking to a guy there who comes down the shore. He told me about the seed. Yeah, this place, Humble Parlor, if anybody from Philly is listening right now, it is, uh, it was in an interesting building. It was in like a warehouse that was essentially shut down on Ambler Street off of Allegheny. Interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. Right off Frankfurt Avenue. You know where Frankfurt Avenue was up there? Mm -hmm. So it's about two blocks over from Frankfurt. And it's in this old warehouse where the windows are all busted out. We actually had to, like, call them to let us in. You had to have, like, the code on the door. Yeah. And we had to call them to get the code for the door. And then you go in, and you go into this elevator that probably was from, like, the 1940s. Right. And, like, me and my buddy who went, we're not the smallest guys, all right? So the two of us in this elevator were, there was not a lot of room to spare. We get off the elevator, and it was as if the whole place was, like, sheetrocked. I mean, it was, like, it looked abandoned, this place. Wow. So there's, I'll show you the picture. Look at this. There's a, a little picture of an arrow pointing towards the place. And it says, Humble Parlor. And you walk down the hallway, and there's just a little place inside. And I'm like, is anybody else in this place except for us? <laughs> I mean, the sign, no offense, looks like it was made by like a It was a, a piece of cardboard. It was like a kid made that They sign. literally took a box, ripped the top of the box off, and just wrote the name of the place. So I got to check that place out. Thank you to that guy who sent me that. I wonder if anybody listening has been to the Humble Parlor on uh, in Philly. Um, Mike, try Snake Venom Beer. A few of those will get you nice and sloppy. That's from Terry. Thank you, Terry. I'm not looking to get really sloppy, though. Snake Venom. Sounds aggressive. Now, what is the... Uh, Got to look this up now. Snake Venom Beer. I'm looking at... I mean, you got to tell me what I'm looking at here. It's the strongest beer in the world. That's what it's... It's wildly recognized as the strongest beer in the world. Now, wildly recognized Mm -hmm. is a very interesting... No, not wild. I'm sorry. It says... Snake Venom is currently recognized as the strongest beer in the world. It is brewed in moray from smoked malt. See, I'm not a malt liquor guy. That seems a little too strong for my liking there. It's got a 67.5 ABV. Now, I'm out on that. (laughs) My goodness. I, I, I appreciate the offer, Terry. And if you buy me that beer, somebody bought me a beer at... At the uh, Eagles draft party at Slack Tide. Yeah. And it was really good. I got to remember the name of it, though. It was like almost in a wine bottle. Oh, the, the Haywire, maybe? I forget the name of it. We have the bottle at my house. Oh, okay. Uh, Mike, Wrench from Industrial Arts. Great IPA. 
That's from Jack in Wildwood. He says, if you ever go to Cape May, go to Lucky Bones. Great beer on tap. Great food. And Ludlum Island Water Guns and Rainbows. Now, I have had that beer. I've had the Ludlum. Ludlum's got a few different good IPAs down there. I've had the Water Guns and Rainbows before. That one and their double IPA is really good, too. I've also been to Lucky Bones. It's a nice spot. And Wrench from Industrial Arts, I have not had. I've heard of it, though. To get into that, uh, I like the 609 IPA from Glastown Brewery. That's from Tim in Millville. I have had the 609. In fact, Tim in Millville, whenever I could find that on tap someplace, I will generally order it. Uh, the 609 from Glastown Brewery. Yes, it's a good one. Definitely. I've had that one too. Definitely a, definitely a winner. Um, let's see. This gentleman, his name is Dominic in Sweetwater. Sorry, I'm trying to... All these texts are kind of flying in at me. 609-403-0973. Mike, when I found when I buy IPAs from the liquor store, they're usually out of date and don't taste like they should. I would recommend getting fresh beer from Chickies and Pete's in Egg Harbor Township. They have the best local selection that I have found anywhere. Yeah, Chickies and Pete's has a good selection. I will... uh, verify that. I mean, um, look, if you're really looking for fresh, you just go to the brewery itself and get it from them. I mean, let's be realistic. You can't get much fresher than the guy who's making it. <laughs> yeah, now I went to this humble parlor and he didn't have anything canned. He was out. So I said, I'll buy a, I'll buy a six-pack. I'll bring it home with me. They had a beer there that I really liked. And they didn't, you couldn't bring it home. He said he didn't, he was out of, he was, didn't have cans. Was out. So, like, are they, like, fairly new? Is that what is going on, maybe? I'm not really sure. I didn't get into the. It was him and his wife, and she made the T-shirts, and he made the beer. <laughs> Small operation, then. Uh, Chad in Maze Landing. Mike, you have to go to the Seed. It's amazing. I can't believe it's been under your nose the whole time. Little Water Distillery is connected to it, and there's also an axe-throwing place. You could spend a day there. All right, I have heard of the Little Water Distillery, so you're telling me the Seed is right there? Apparently. It's on Baltic Avenue, according to what I looked up. Baltic, yeah, oh, so it's back there. Probably why I haven't been there. It's back, way back there. All right, that's a little off the beaten path. All right, I have, I have, how long has it been there? Because I've been to the Little Water Distillery, and I don't recall there being a brewery right there. That has to be rather new, right? The axe-throwing place, that I'm not familiar with either. Yeah, I feel like both got to be fairly new. That, that's got to be fairly new. I And the guy said, I can't believe you haven't been there. It's been right under your nose. Since when? So according to this website I'm on called The Beer Project, because because The Seed calls themselves a living beer project. They don't call themselves traditional brewery. It's a new brewery that's only been around for a couple of years. Yeah, but I'm talking about has it been here for a couple of years? In Atlantic City, it's only been there for... This article was written in... 2020 and it's calling it a brand new brewery so it's i guess it was right around the in the pandemic i'm guessing so that's probably why i haven't heard of it i mean you've been around for two years it's hard to get like if they would have said mike this brewery's been there for six years i understand it maybe the guy's like hey it's under your nose place only been there for about two years three years it's it's hard to you know it's it's not hard to miss things no i i've heard of the little water distillery i the, the seed i had not heard of so and believe me of all people like people tell me about these things generally all the time have you tried this have you tried that no i have not heard or have tried 
the seed. But I'm telling you, uh, whoever that was, Chad in Mays Landing, I will make a point to get over there. Uh, Andrew says dogfish head is very good in Delaware. Yeah, the dogfish head, they have the slightly mighty beer that I... So when I start first started drinking the low-cal, low-carb IPAs, the the slightly mighty is like the first one that I tried. It's got monk fruit. That's what they use as like the whatever. And it's okay. I'm not a huge fan. My girlfriend likes the slightly mighty. I don't love it. But I didn't hate it. I was like, because the whole thing is like with when you're doing like the keto stuff, you can't drink these heavy IPAs. So that's when I got into all these low-cal low carb IPAs and then I found a bunch that I actually liked. Um and now you're looking for new stuff. Well, because there's not right, there's not a lot of options. Now I found a lot, but it's sometimes you'll go to the the liquor store and they don't have a lot of choices in there for you. Okay. Like my old You know what the problem is? I've given too many people <laughs> too many uh tips. Too many recommendations. Too many recommendations. <laughs> so I'll go to places that ah, were sold out. Wait, I was the only guy that was drinking that stuff. By the way, some breaking news here. You ready? Should I play the breaking news sounder? Uh, James Harden. You want James Harden news? Sure. According to Shams, James Harden is taking a $15 million pay cut. To allow Philadelphia to elevate its roster with the sole focus on a championship run in 2023, he opted out of his player option and now plans to sign a two-year deal with a player option in year number two. That's pretty significant news there. First of all, it's significant. Second of all, that must have been a really good party in the Hamptons. You're right. Sorry, I was drinking coffee. I thought you had, <laughs> I thought you had more to say. <laughs> sorry, I didn't beat the big You know, I don't get too many chances to, like, take a swig of something. <laughs> hey, I need you for, like, 30 seconds just to let me take a drink of water. And that's all you gave me. Um, no, it must have been a really good party in the Hamptons because, you know, he, he's not just taking a little discount. He's taking a big discount. And it's not, this, like, a four-year deal. It's not a five-year deal. This is a huge pay cut for Harden. This is pretty significant 15 million is a massive number i thought it was going to take somewhere in the you know to, to get him back at this kind of discount three to four year deal hey i'll take less money but you gotta sign me long term right to get this much flexibility under the cap he's taking a 15 million dollar pay cut and it's only a two-year deal now we had a text message at the beginning of the show the first text I got today said, Mike, where is that Harden deal and what's the holdup? Well, there you go. I don't know that the deal's official yet, but if Shams is putting that out there, let me go over to the Woj bomb section of the, uh, nope, I got nothing from Woj here. Now, the Shams also tweeted that everyone around Harden has understood the focus on his workout regimen this offseason and a championship goal for the next season. This close relationship with those around the organization, including Daryl Morey and Michael Rubin, played a major role in trust between the two sides. Okay, here's a question for you. Harden took less money, right? Right. Pat him on the back. Yep. The Sixers didn't have a lot of options here. Definitely so they not. both, it was a marriage that had to happen. It's kind of a marriage of necessity. 
So the question is, did he have any other options? Like, he, you know, like he took $15 million. He's taking $15 million less. And that's admirable, but I don't know that he had any other more options. Or did he not care about his other options? Well, Was he always intent on staying here? I think somebody could have swooped in and offered him more hey, money. More money. You want to come play for us? I don't know. But it's like, you know, Detroit could have offered him more money. Like, was he really going to leave here and go to Detroit? According to Shams, his whole goal is to win a championship. Yeah. Well, so, and now keep this in mind. I don't, I'm not a math major here. But if he takes $15 million less, and according to Derek Bodner, he's about 100, they're at 157 at the hard cap. It leaves them within a couple million there. Right. That means they can still make some more moves with vet minimums. They can make a trade that could let them take back about $5 million more than they send out. So you could trade a Corkmaz or a Shake Milton and get back a player who's making a little bit more money. That might er- uh, open up like the Eric Gordon stuff. Because apparently there's reports that they were in on Gordon on draft night. Right. My question is, is this something where you trade both Milton and Cork Moss for somebody? Yeah. Mike, I'm the first one to criticize Daryl Morey, but if he gets James on a two-year deal, well done. Well, apparently it's going to be a two-year deal with a with an option in the second year. So this is a one-year, we're going for this. Right, this is a, we're all in it for one year minimum. Well, let me we'll, reread We'll that. figure it out what happens afterwards. Oh, it's a player option in year two. So he's right. opting, Harden opted out of the $47 million player option. He plans to sign a new two-year deal. And he's going to take a $15 million pay cut. It's pretty significant. It's a massive. Uh, Mike, that's a big pay cut. Props to Harden for that. It shows me he wants to win, but I expect him to come in healthy this year and have a big year. He'll opt out next year and grab more money. So that's the whole thing. They gave him the player option that he can opt out if he wants and say, hey, play for – I think this is what – what you talked about that must have been some party in the Hamptons, right? Right. The conversation is this. James, you know you came here. We love you, man. You didn't play the way we think you can. The owner just wants to see that you can be the James Harden. Give us some flexibility to get some players in here to help you out. If you play well enough, you can opt out of the deal and we'll take care of you next year. You're still making $32 million. Don't cry poor on me, buddy. Let me ask you this. If Harden does to the Sixers what Kawhi did to the Raptors, where Kawhi goes to Toronto, wins the championship, and leaves in free agency, goes somewhere else. I don't think that would happen, but who cares? Well, they won I'm the saying. championship, and he left. Who cares? You got you the ring. I don't think that would happen, though. Kawhi didn't want to go to Toronto. He right. was sent to Toronto. That's true. Harden wanted to come to Philadelphia, and I don't think he wants to leave. Daryl Morey's here. It's his buddy. Um, Flyers made a trade today. And by the way, Tony D'Angelo, he's had more issues than just being a bad teammate. Yeah. He's also been a pretty bad human being. You forget the fact that he was basically banished from... um, I guess when he was in Tampa. He got, then he gets suspended when he was in the minors. In the minors. He had like yeah. a lot of racial slurs, homophobic slurs. Uh, not a good human being, according to a lot of uh, his past and some reports. But well, listen, just I, saying, like, hopefully, hopefully, he has matured in his time in Carolina because there's been a lot of questions about the Rangers cut him. The Rangers flat out cut him because of him not being a good person. 
Hey, listen, you know what? Sometimes you got to take a risk. Well, is the risk worth taking? We'll ask Durso in about 20 minutes. More Sports Bash coming up. Now, back to... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. All right, 3.30, who's playing Chaka Khan? Nobody. Just me. Just you. That's all. It's happy Hour Friday. It is Happy Hour Friday. Got some good beer suggestions coming in. Got some good news about Harden. Yeah, the Harden news. This guy asked the question, Mike, how much is the player option for? $50 million? I don't know that it's been reported yet. He hasn't officially signed, but it sounds like he's going to sign. Sham Sharania from The Athletic, who, uh, you know, pretty plugged in when it comes to this stuff. You know, I found out today he's like 25 years old. Yeah, he started when he was in high school. How about that? What a life. I mean, you literally step on the scene when you're a teenager. Yeah, they said that um, he started when he was 17 years old, breaking stories. There was another guy who used to do that in baseball, a guy named Chris Catillo. He covers the Red Sox now. But he basically was like in high school, and he started breaking stories. And he was like, you know, getting sources and stuff like that. And nice. He was like going to be a prodigy guy. He ended up, you know, going getting a beat with the Red Sox. Yeah, Shams is reporting that Harden is going to take a $15 million pay cut next season. He opted out of the $47 million deal. And as he also adds to the tweet, he said, everyone around Harden has understood the focus on his workout regimen this offseason and a championship goal for this year. His close relationships with those around the organization, including Michael Rubin and Daryl Morey, have played a major role in trust between the two sides. So Harden is going to take a $15 million pay cut for next season. That allows Philadelphia to now bring in a P.J. Tucker, bring in a DeAnthony Melton, and possibly make another move or so. With the sole focus, according to Harden's camp, that he wants to make a championship run this season. Now, if you've seen some of the videos, I know we're very hurt by videos in this uh, area with the Sixers, with Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz. But this isn't about what Harden looks like in the videos. It's that he has been working with Tyrese Maxey, with Sam Cassell. They have been in the gym working together. And that Harden, to me, looks like he is in much better shape than the way he left the court. Not that he was out of shape. He just looks like he is much leaner and much more athletic than he was at the end of last year. Well, I mean, how much of that also is the fact that maybe he had time to heal up his banged-up body. I mean, he was playing through those hamstring strain, the bruised quad. Like, at some point, you know, maybe you just don't feel like exercising because your body's just in too much pain. Yeah, well, I don't think there's any question that Harden was not the same Harden. I think that's evident. Why is that? Well... Could be a variety of reasons. Hamstring problem, not meshing with the team, not getting a chance to practice. Maybe he just lost a step. I don't know which one it is. 
I don't think anybody has the answer to that question. We can all pontificate as much as we want that we think we know. He's cooked. He's got nothing left in the tank. That might be your opinion. You might be right. But we're not going to get the answer to that until October rolls around. We will not know what the right answer is until we see Harden back on the floor. And if he's willing to take a $15 million pay cut, and as this text message says at 609-403-0973, Mike Harden must know that he's not going to get back to high-level basketball. He knows he's still... Wait. Mike Harden must know that he is going to get back to high-level basketball. He knows he's still got it to make this type of deal. If he rips it up next season, he's getting super maxed out. I agree. This tells me that Harden is betting on himself and that he's pretty healthy and that he thinks he's going to go back and have a monster season so that he can either opt back into the deal. We don't know what that player option money is, or he can opt out of the deal so that he can get a longer term, big time, super max contract. This contract tells me two things. The two sides worked together for this year, right? They worked together for this season. And let's see how this season goes. And then you kind of, you run the roost. You run the roost after this because you can opt back into the deal or you can opt out if you have a great year and make more money. So take less this year and the opportunity is there for you to take, to make more. Right. He has an opportunity to, you know, not be locked in him and the Sixers be locked in long-term. Honestly, I think it's just a smart move by everybody involved. Well, this is something you don't see too much in sports. This is the ultimate, let's come together, let's work together. Right? Yeah. And people forget, you know, when LeBron went to Miami, he took less money to go to Miami, too. So Harden's not the first guy to do this. There have been plenty of guys over the years that have said, look, I want to win, and I'm so serious about winning I'm not going to take the max contract. And I think that, you know, in a world where people basically complain about pro athletes and money all the time, every Sixer fan who has ever complained needs to get up off their high horse and buy a James Harden jersey at the moment he signs that contract. Because you always say, why do these guys don't take less money? They should take less money. They're serious about winning. All of you who've ever said that, buy a James Harden jersey right now. Well, I think a lot of people are. I'm reading social media, and that's you know that's just a small slice of life. But it seems that Harden is getting a lot of um, praise for his decision to take a pay cut. Now, as Michael Kasky Blomain just tweeted, covers the, the uh, Sixers and the NBA for CBS Sports, and of course is a frequent guest on our show. He said this Harden deal is a pretty big win for the Sixers. They get added financial flexibility this summer and didn't have to make a long-term commitment to an aging player. I agree more with what he said other than uh, over than this tweet being negative. So Harden is taking a pay cut on a two-year deal, not quite the pay cut I was looking for. Zero years at zero dollars. I don't know how you were going to replace Harden. I don't know how you wouldn't roll the dice on Harden. And I don't know how you wouldn't say, hey, we're getting him for $15 million less. You don't think Harden, he was the only player in the league last year to average a double-double. Correct. You're telling me if a guy gets you 22 points and 10 assists a night, 
that's not worth bringing back on a one-year deal? What's your alternative? Do you have a better option than that? No, I don't. It's worth rolling the dice to see if he has more left in the tank. And guess what? If you win a championship next year, who cares what the player option is? Who cares that it's only a two-year deal? If Harden's all in for next year, so should everybody else. So Harden will make $32 million and then potentially hit free agency again next year. That's how this kind of happens. He gets a player option for next year. We're going to go through the same old song and dance again next year, right? Absolutely. 609-403-0973. So the breaking news, Harden is going to sign a two-year deal to stay with the Sixers. It includes a $15 million pay cut to help improve the roster. Uh, the deal has not been finalized completely yet, and Harden has not signed the agreement, but it sounds as if, uh, look, it's a lot of money, but James Harden, you got to give him the respect for taking a flyer on himself, really. We don't see that too much in sports. I know he's still getting $32 million, so no boo-hoo for him, but he took a $15 million pay cut to try to prove that I still have something left in the tank. I got to give him credit for that. I respect it. I really do. But I think it also gets back to you. Doesn't Mike also emphasize again that relationship with him and Maury? There's something going on there. There's something real. There. Well, and Shams tweeted that out, that his trust in the relationship. How about that? You remember these yahoos that were screaming and yelling about uh, the fans will never come back and you know, they turn their back on the fans and how bad the organization was? Well, now you have a player who is, look, Think what you want about James Harden. He's still one of the top 20 players in the entire league. And here's a guy saying, I want to be here because I trust this team. What does that say about some of the other, you know, the net situation and what's going on over there? Mike, do you think Michael Rubin is paying Harden under the table to make up the difference? Maybe that's why he stepped back from ownership. Jeez, it is happy hour Friday. That's a happy hour Friday question if I've ever heard one. And, and quite frankly, I, I wouldn't have an answer to that. Quite frankly, who cares? I don't hear. Hey, here's a couple million. Sign with the Sixers. You don't think that goes on in, in, everywhere? Probably does. I mean, you're if you're making thirty two million, does that fifteen million even register for you? I mean, it wouldn't for me. That's for sure. Seriously, if you're making thirty two million dollars a year and you got a paycheck. Would the extra $15 million in your paycheck make your check look so different that you would even care? Nope. At that point, I'd be like James Harden. I'd be like, you want to pay me $32 million? Fine. But pay me $47 million just so I could say I took a $15 million pay cut. But I don't need the $47 million. Right. I just want to say that I agreed to $47 million, Then I decided, you know what? I don't need $47 million. I'll do thirty-two. Sports Pass. Uh, when we come back, the Flyers made a trade, but was it worth it? The details on the trade are on our website, 973ESPN.com. It's a pretty big name, and Kevin Durso has the details coming up next. Now, back to the For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. Uh, we'll have the uh, winning name for the tickets to go see the weekend tonight at 5 o'clock. If you've entered to win, listen for your name at 5. If you haven't entered, download the mobile app and listen for your name tonight at 5 o'clock. Tickets to see the weekend next Thursday night, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, you heard the James Harden news. He's going to sign a two-year deal uh, with a $15 million pay cut, giving the Sixers some flexibility. He'll have a player option for year number two. So it's essentially a one-year deal, and he has a player option to come back if he wants, where he can opt out, and we can go through the uh, ring around the rosy again next year. The Flyers made a move today. It's uh, a little bit of a controversial decision. Let's bring Kevin Durso in, our Flyers insider from 97.3ESPN.com. And uh, we were waiting to see if a move would be made. I don't know that this was the move we thought was going to happen, Kevin Durso. A bunch of draft picks. Tony D'Angelo, a familiar name, a local guy, uh, was with the Rangers. They basically got rid of him. Uh, he was a basically an outcast, signed a one-year deal with Carolina, and now traded to Philadelphia before the Rangers, Arizona, and Tampa both got rid of him as well. So give us some thoughts on this deal Philadelphia makes today. <laughs> it's a head-scratcher to me, to be honest. I just... To be, you know, there's a lot that this trade says. This trade says that they have huge doubts about Ryan Ellis because you wouldn't be trading for a guy and then planning to sign him to a contract that could be worth five million dollars a year if you know if you didn't have concerns about Ryan Ellis. It, it just that doesn't make any sense. The the three picks that they traded to get his rights doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either. It just you know, in a roundabout way, you just got a player who's a defenseman. I get it, right-handed shot, and they're hard to come by. But you just got a player who is a better version of Shane Gostisbehere, who you traded last offseason with two draft picks to just get the cap money off the books. Took that money, used it to acquire Rasmus Ristolainen, who you traded Robert Haig and two other draft picks to get. And now you've traded three draft picks to get D'Angelo. So you've traded... In total, upwards of seven draft picks and two defensemen to make all of this happen. And each move to me is a counter to make up for the last one, to try to overcorrect for what's going on. Because to me, this blue line is not really, you know, I'll be blunt with you about it. Chuck Fletcher's done an awful lot in the last two off seasons to me to, you know, in terms of activity to do a whole lot of nothing to this blue line. It's it's a lot of activity and not a lot of return. And I'm not trying to downplay that D'Angelo could be a 50-point guy. He's a power play specialist. He's done it two years in his career. You know, on the ice, that's great. But I think you also knew the risks going in with this. It's, it's not a low-risk trade because you're getting a player who carries an awful lot of baggage. And from an optics perspective, this is just not a good look at all. So th- there's a lot to consider. Yeah, how does he – I mean, number one, you know, you mentioned uh, bad optics. The guy has certainly had some baggage. The Rangers – he had a career year with the Rangers, and they said – well, he had a career year with the Rangers. Then he wasn't having such a good year, and that helped necessitate the need to get rid of him. He had a very good year last year. So 
does the does his play does it worth? Let's say they didn't pay the price and they just brought the player in. Does the player make sense? It's a tough call because you know you're trying to fill the. I think you're trying to fill the void of Ellis if he's not ready to go, which is you're assuming he would play next to Provorov in that case. D'Angelo fits the bill of another one of these guys who's in the Sanheim range, the Ristolainen range. Like, you're talking middle pairing more than top pairing. If you play him in the top pairing, I think you're stretching it. If you play him in the third pairing, which there's nothing wrong with sheltering a guy in the third pairing and giving him a, a role, you know, third pairing power play specialist type thing. But it's, is that worth $5 million? I don't think so at all. So you're kind of caught in between. You've got, you know, you've got another mid-tier guy who you're expecting to make a jump and maybe play there. And that's strictly if we're talking on the ice, obviously. But it it just doesn't present well to me. It just seems like they're going to try to stretch this thing thin and still feed the, feed the line that if Ellis comes back, this can work because he'll be a third right-handed shot defenseman that they could line up somewhere in that grouping. But I just don't have confidence in Ellis's situation at all. I think that you're continuing to steer closer and closer and closer towards a long-term injured reserve deal with him and whatever that entails, whether it's just the first couple months of the season or whether it's all season for all I know. I mean, that's how little we know about Ryan Ellis right now. And that's why I think you, you take, you know, that's why you take a chance and acquire somebody. I just don't know that getting a guy who's better known as a puck moving offensive minded defenseman is the answer when you're trying to replace what Ryan Ellis is, which is much more, you know, he's got two-way ability, but he's much more stay-at-home. So I think that that also is a contrasting style that you're trying to replace. Um, you make this move. You bring in a 26-year-old guy. So he's not an old guy. I mean, he's a guy who's still in his prime. And you would hope, hey, he just had a really good year. He's had a year like this in the past. You hope that he can perform. But what's I asked you yesterday, do the Flyers, uh, do they, are they – viewing themselves better spot than most of us are what does this trade say about that this trade screams the aggressive approach that's for sure i mean it it says they're going to try to do what they can to make this work this season and it it falls in line with what they tried to do last off season where you're, you're doing a lot of stuff you're seeing a lot of movement you're hearing a lot of things it doesn't mean that it always works out and it plays into your favor and you know, at some point, you just got to accept at some point in time, they're going to have to accept their fate to me. It, it, Chuck Fletcher being part of this and making this type of a move, you know, he, he's got to know by now that his job's in jeopardy in some way, shape and form. You know, if they don't get off to a good start and you're on year four of Chuck Fletcher as general manager of this team in three of those years, you miss the playoffs. You know, at some point in time, the time runs out on you. So he's got to be taking some form of chances and doing things to try to make the team as good as it can be because that's what's going to provide job security. I just don't see it. It's just not – this is not what's going to save your job. You know, the reason D'Angelo had a decent season last year with Carolina is because they've got a good defensive core collectively. It's not just him. You know, they had other players who balance it out. And this is, again, banking on a lot of things and hoping for a lot of things like Ivan Provorov bouncing back like Travis Sandheim continuing to take steps. Hopefully Cam York develops even further. Is Ristolainen going to be more consistent? You, you, but every one of them has a question mark, and D'Angelo is not going to be any different. So you're looking at five guys defensively right now. 
technically Nick Sealer is their number six at the moment, but I expect that that would change in free agency with maybe a low risk guy. But the other five would have question marks and Ellis has a question mark, a huge one, obviously. So I, I shouldn't be asking all these questions about, you know, is this going to happen? Is this a possibility? What if this happens? You shouldn't be coming in with uncertainty with every single guy. And that's what they're looking at right now. OK, uh, quickly give us a thought on the draft last night. I really like the pick they made, honestly. And I, I told you yesterday, I thought they would make a good pick on draft day because they would just go with somebody who was kind of in there. And Cutter Gautier was a guy who I had in my five targets. And one of the things I really like about the pick is that they've got time. You know, he's going to go to college. He's going to play at Boston College next season. He thinks that he's going to play one season there and then turn pro, probably, you know, possibly join the Flyers. And that's not out of the range of possibilities, but being a college player, you get to play against older competition right away. It's a little bit more akin to the pro game. So I think that that buys him some time if he needs a second season of development. You know, even if it's, even if that second season is turning pro and playing an entire year in the minors, I, I like the fact that they have time that it doesn't feel like this is a pressure play. If, if Logan Cooley, like I said, would, would have fallen and I'm running the ticket up there. There's probably a little pressure to get him up there sooner. Certainly, Shane Wright went fourth overall after being a projected number one for most of the lead up to this draft. If he would have fallen to five, I think the pressure would have been on to get him in the lineup almost immediately. I think it's good for the Flyers that they don't have pressure to play this kid right away. Uh, last uh, Goudreau's name, it keeps uh, coming up, coming up, coming up. Kevin Weeks even threw a little slider in there last night. What do you think there? Well, I've heard similar things, and I don't want to just say it's a guaranteed going to happen deal but not not like what just happened with D'Angelo and trading for a player's rights that's not signed yet now there's a difference Gaudreau's an unrestricted free agent and D'Angelo was a restricted free agent so they have a little bit more control there but I've heard something similar that if it doesn't work out in Calgary kind of it's been reported they wanted an answer pretty soon here on whether or not he's going to stay that's a little bit of conflicting stuff going on there where they're still optimistic that they can work out something in Calgary if not, the Flyers could be trading another draft pick or something of that sort to get Gaudreau's rights and work out a deal because if they can get the rights, they actually have the ability to negotiate a, a year longer, which would impact it as well. So certainly Gaudreau is going to be on their radar, especially as Wednesday approaches. It's just a matter of where that conversation goes. If Calgary gives up on this front to try to re-sign him, fully expect the Flyers to be involved in trying to get his rights sooner so they can possibly get even more time out of him. And it wouldn't shock me at all if we get to next Wednesday and Johnny Gaudreau is getting ready to put on the orange and black because it's certainly a distinct possibility. All right, uh, Kevin Durso. For more, follow him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Durso. Get all his Flyers coverage over at 97.3ESPN.com. And, of course, uh, Tony D'Angelo is here. Maybe Johnny Gaudreau next week. Durso, we'll check back in. Thanks, pal. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, there's Kevin Durso on the Flyers' moves and what could be next. Johnny Goudreau, as you mentioned, if they make the trade and he's still a free agent, they get an extra gear they can put on that deal. And I've heard a lot of that as a possibility. And then the Tony D'Angelo trade, he said, head-scratching. Coming up, more Sports Bash on the way here on 97.3 ESPN. In about an hour, I'm going to announce the winner for tickets to go see the weekend at Lincoln Financial Field, home of the Eagles. We'll talk a little birds and NFL. Coming up next, football at four here on the Sports Best. Jeff Mosher from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds 
Podcast joins us to talk some Eagles, NFL, NFC East, and more. You're on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. My personality is I, I want to win badly. I want to win more Lombardis for Philadelphia and our fans. we got the greatest fans around, and I will do everything possible. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. This is Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And it is brought to you by the Atlantic City Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. Did you know on this day, 89 years ago, the Philadelphia Eagles franchise was born, Jeff Mosher. Today is the Eagles' birthday. How are you, friend? I'm great. I'm great. Are we celebrating? Well, I was going to kind of get your overview on mm-hmm. just how successful of a franchise the Eagles have been. You know, in the history of doing this show, you know, the Eagles have won one Super Bowl. Well, in the history of their franchise, they have won one Super Bowl. And they get right. chastised for that a lot by especially rival NFC East fans. The Giants, Washington, and Dallas all have won more. Now, 89 years ago today, the Eagles were born. But they have more than just one Super Bowl. So Correct. in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles, when you look at this franchise, we were talking about this yesterday. You know, since 97, the Eagles have won the most NFC East division titles. I don't know how much that means. What are the Eagles? Where is this franchise? What kind of success would you look at this franchise? How would you kind of break it down? The Eagles are like a, um, uh, I guess, an inverted sandwich or hoagie in that... (laughs) They had that good beginning with the Chuck Bednarik days and, you know, the, the championships that they won before the Super Bowl. Then they went through some really dry years during the, um, when the, when the, the, during the merger, when the NFL was coming into light, when they were owned by Toast and Brayman. And then Jeffrey Lurie took over and Andy Reid. And, you know, from that point to now, that's like the other sort of meat with the kind of the bread in the middle. That's what I, I, I would, that's how I would put them. When you look at, I guess, maybe the – around the league, how are they yeah. kind of viewed as a franchise? When when you compare them to the Cowboys and the Giants and whatever the Washington team wants to go by this year, you know, yeah. do people view them as above them? Or do they say, nah, they only had that one Super Bowl. They're not quite on the level of – like how much is their one Super Bowl factored in to the way they're viewed around the league? Um, well, people tend to view the league kind of in with recency bias, right? So, um, I, and that's a hard question to ask. Like, are they considered one of the storied franchises in the NFL? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, there have been some legendary figures of the game going back to those Bednarik and Van Brocklin days who have played in Philadelphia, Reggie White, of course, right? Brian Dawkins. Um, so they are a big part of the history 
of the league and the organization. And I would say since Jeffrey Lurie took over, they've been more regarded as a franchise, a, a good atmosphere, a place where a player would enjoy. And that, I mean, look, Mike, how many people who played for the Eagles over the last 20 years stay in the area, right? I think that's, that's a good part of enjoying the culture, the fan base, the organization. It's not like they just stay in the area and divorce themselves from the organization. A lot of guys are actively involved. And I think that that says a lot because before that, we know, I mean, we know that, you know, Reggie White, part of his lawsuit was to help free agency. The Eagles were kind of not considered great from an ownership standpoint before Jeffrey Lurie took over and maybe not the most player friendly team when it came to contracts and, and what you wanted. So I think that they're viewed very favorably in a macro lens as far as what they are to the NFL, what Jeffrey Lurie is to the to the group of owners, his influence, which he has some. So there's certainly um, a big part of that. You know, as success, you know, they're not obviously a laughing stock by any means. They're not the Browns. They're not the Jets or the Raiders. Um, they're considered generally a good franchise that has its peaks and valleys and doesn't tend to have either one for very long amounts of time, save for that. 10 year, the first 10 years of Andy Reid's uh, tenure. Yeah, you wonder how much of that Andy Reid tenure shaped the way that we think of the team in the post Andy Reid era. A lot. It should. A lot. I mean, I think the proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, he went out to Kansas City, which is one of those franchises that's, you know, right there, Super Bowl one and everything like that. A lot of tradition. Hank Stram. Uh, before Andy got there, though, they were they were in a bad way since I guess since what the end of Dick Vermeil when he was with them and, and Priest Holmes that was the team right where where he had kind of gotten them into uh, double digit wins and in the playoffs and then they went through a streak there where they were you know they had some serious issues I mean they had a, a linebacker who committed suicide in the parking lot and that started to sort of mark the low point of what the Chiefs were becoming. Um, just And, and that, that's not a criticism. I'm just, just saying, like, they were mired um, at that point from Herm Edwards and Romeo Cornell and Todd Haley. And, and then, bam, Andy goes there, and they literally just start winning immediately, right? I mean, immediately. I think they won 11 games his first year there. And they were in the playoffs three of his first four years. And then eventually Patrick Mahomes era begins and Super Bowls. And I don't see them missing the playoffs anytime in the next few years as long as they stay healthy and productive. So I think you have to look at the Jeffrey Lurie tenure and tie it in with Andy Reid because even their Super Bowl came from a head coach who came up through the Andy Reid tree, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, the guy is, has a lot of winning in his, in his blood and in his DNA and brought it here when Jeffrey Lurie hired him. Yeah, you Which know, was a very controversial decision, by the way, at the time. So, so Jeffrey deserves credit for that. And then Joe Banner. I was just going to say, you know, if you know that Andy was not the popular choice to get hired. That is one thing that this team has kind of done, even to where they are now, where they hired a guy in Nick Sirianni. I mean, I remember the day that his name popped up, thinking to myself, this is going to be the guy they hired because they always hire that guy. They've gone outside the box pretty much with all their hires. Doug Peterson, even Chip Kelly was a guy that they other people wanted but he was not an NFL guy. He was an outside-the-box guy. Remember the day that Jeff Lurie said, hey, we want to be five years ahead of being five years ahead, and they right. bring in Chip Kelly. Yeah, no, I mean, Jeffrey Lurie has never been afraid to think differently, to pivot. Obviously, he pivoted away from Chip Kelly as fast as he pivoted toward Chip Kelly. He's not afraid to make 
a decision that might look rash on the surface, but seeing the long-term benefits, I think the firing of Doug Peterson after one bad year uh, is probably a good example of that. And I'm not sitting here saying it was definitely the right move or the wrong move. I'm just illustrating to you how Jeffrey Lurie thinks. He knew that Doug Peterson was the only coach to win him a Super Bowl. Um, he knew that Doug Peterson made the playoffs, what, four out of the, three out of the four, four out of five years. But in his mind, he believed, in his heart, he believed that the trend was going the wrong way and that two, three years down the road, it was not going to get better um, with the way they were de- not developing talent and with the way they were bringing in different coaches and not seeing different results under Doug Peterson and, and with the way Doug handled his coaching staff himself. And Jeffrey Lurie felt like he needed to make a, a change for the betterment of the franchise long-term, even though it looked rash at the time and, and still might for some. Yeah, I mean, you, we, we, you know, we take a look back at where this all kind of started is, you know, he hires Andy. Uh, Andy goes on that run. Then Andy kind of burns out, flames out, and then he takes a shot by going to Chip Kelly, quickly decides that wasn't the way to go, gets out of that, goes to Peterson, who was kind of a, you know, I don't want to say controversial hire, but nobody else had him on the radar. And it goes to where we are now that Laurie still has such ties to that Reed era, and it's almost like he tries to recreate it and keep it. And people ask all the time about Roseman and why he almost because he is a link to that Reed era almost. Yeah, yes, that's why I sometimes think Andy, because people are so sour on the fact that he didn't win a Super Bowl, sort of forget the blueprint that he laid here in Philadelphia or set here in Philadelphia that Howie Roseman and Joe Banner then, they still follow. It's not like Howie Roseman got to the organization and said the biggest thing, the most important thing we have to do is be strong in the trenches, offensive line and defensive line. That was a Andy Reid. And, and of course, the Eagles had great offensive linemen and defensive linemen in their history. But I don't, and Buddy Ryan was great at identifying defensive linemen. But you remember, Buddy could care less about offense. So Andy truly had a model to success that he felt was long term and sustainable by A, building in the trenches, B, obviously having a great quarterback, and then C, he really, you know, felt like he had to stop the passing game with a pass rush and corners. And some of that is obvious, but some of it, as you look around the NFL, isn't so obvious. And that has been the blueprint that both the organization, uh, really, yeah, the organization has followed even with Andy gone. All right, Jeff Mosher, InsideTheBirds.com, the Inside the Birds podcast. So we got off on that conversation and it kind of took us down a little bit of a fun rabbit hole. It's uh, the Eagles' birthday today, 89 years uh, on this day. The Eagles were born. So let's look at this year's team a little bit. I want to ask you about a couple of guys uh, under the radar that we haven't discussed a lot throughout this summer and this offseason and get your thoughts on how they fit in. I want to start with Milton Williams and where you think uh, his role is because he was a guy – that I thought last year showed some flashes. And now his name seems to be under the radar a bit because there's so many other options on that defensive front. And I'm wondering where he fits in on this style of defense, which we don't even know what that style is yet, but where we think he might fit in. Well, you just answered that, you know, in your own question, is that not knowing the style of defense and the alignments uh, specific to down and distance, it's hard to answer. But I do feel like what Milton Williams showed last year which is a nice little burst. I mean, he played well against uh, the run and the pass. Um, but, I, you know, his name has come up recently for us at Inside the Birds because of Bo 
Allen's retirement last week. And if you think back to 2017, Bo Allen played 43% of the snaps. He was the third defensive tackle, and he was very rarely on the field for pass rush. But he was still played 43% of the snaps because he was a very important second-string run defender. Um, and he was also in a lot of those games late third, fourth quarter because the Eagles blew out teams that year. So he got a chance to play. But he was significant. He was important on a line that went about seven deep, if you think about it, between ends and tackles. And now you look at Milton Williams. Can he be that same guy? as the third defensive tackle. Um, can he play you know anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of the snaps as the team maybe tries to preserve Fletcher Cox a little bit so let's say it's like third and three right which could be a passing down in the NFL could also be a running down in the NFL would you like to maybe keep Cox off the field there put a three four look have Jordan Davis in the middle as a nose tackle and then have him flanked by say Javon Hargrave and Milton Williams as your three interior linemen with Hassan Reddick and uh, Josh Sweat as your edges. That that still puts you in your 5-1 look um, because you're probably a nickel at that point in case they pass. But it gives Milton Williams an opportunity to get at the, the, the quarterback if it's a pass. But if they're going to try to spring a run there on third and three, you got Jordan Davis, Milton Williams, and Javon Hargrave to try to stop that uh, you know, up front. So I think there will be some opportunities because he can play three, four end in certain situations, and he can play – 4-3 defensive tackle, the three technique, and he can also play 4-3 de- defensive end. So, look, the Eagles have are deep in name because they've got guys like Josh Sweat, not just Josh Sweat, but like Derek Barnett is back and Brandon Graham's back, but you really don't know what to expect from some of these guys. I mean, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, and Barnett were all on the Super Bowl team, and this is five years later. So I think, you know, if, if there's a decline in play or if there's another injury – then Milton Williams is a guy that they might look to to get on the field more. Yeah, well, Milton Williams, I brought him up first is because I was kind of uh, intrigued by what he did last year, but in, in in a 3-4 look, I don't know if they do play 3-4. Is he a tackle? Is he an end? I mean, is he long enough to play end? Is he uh, right. a nose? He doesn't seem like he's big enough to be a nose, so I'm wondering if he kind of gets miscasted in this new look defense that we anticipate coming. Yeah, one thing I've said is that I think he can be, because he's a bigger guy, normally in a 3-4 defense, you have that big, huge, monstrous nose tackle, which is what Jordan Davis would be, and then your two defensive ends aren't really pass rushers. Your outside linebackers are your pass rushers, like what the Steelers have with T.J. Watt, right? He's an, he's an outside linebacker, a pass rusher. Uh, your ends tend to be bigger guys than 4-3. They'll be 280 to 300 pounds, which is what Milton Williams is, but... They also t- Milton has short arms. That was one of the reasons he's a third-round pick, despite testing really well. And short-arm guys tend to struggle against the run. So I don't know that he's going to be out there in a 3-4 look if they're playing a 3-4 look on first down. But like I said, if there's that middle at third and three, third and four, you don't know if they're going to run or pass, third and two. I think situationally he could play defensive end in a 3-4 alignment. But I don't know that he's really – what you he's certainly not the the prototype for that um all right i want to get another opinion from a a player who's maybe he hasn't even been here before and and that's zach pascal and how he fits in because i don't think a lot of people know a lot about him and what to expect and we seem to be talking a lot about aj brown and smith and quez watkins those three guys get a lot rigor because of his negatives um ortega whiteside because he's changed positions but 
what about Zach Pascal? What what kind of player? Uh, what kind of fit is he? <laughs> it's funny. Real quick on Rager, he he's starting to fall into that category of like when you when you you look at the team and you say, "Give me a a sleeper or an unheralded or an un." Unlike talk, under discussed player who could have a breakout year, I keep saying, well, it could be Jalen Rager. I mean, he did have a from from everything we were told, not to, to put a whole lot of stock in the offseason program, but he came back very focused, very intent, you know, disciplined, mature, did everything they asked, and obviously, we know he's if he's catching the ball, he's got explosion and talent. They just have to figure out a way. He has to figure out a way to catch the ball, and they have to get the ball to him. But it's amazing that your first-round pick from two years ago could be the unheralded, under-discussed guy, but that's where we are. Uh, <laughs> but if he's not, if he is on the team and he, or if he's just not performing uh, or if he is traded, obviously that does open up that slot between a guy like Quez Watkins, who's a vertical slot, can stretch the field, or Zach Pascal, who's more like your, your, your lunch pail, you know, you need three or four yards on first down, Jason Avant like, and I hope Jay wouldn't, you know, you know, be upset with me for saying that. Uh, but, but that kind of guy, a guy who can give you some middle of the field production. He's not going to be explosive. He's not going to break away, but he is going to catch the ball. He can block a little bit if you want to run on a third and three and you need your interior receiver to put a crackback block on a linebacker. He, he can do all those things and, and he does it well and he's a, a great leader. So that there's opportunity for him. But it sort of feels like the opportunity for him has to come only if a couple of other guys aren't doing the job really well. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, um, he's a guy that uh, came from Indianapolis, so he knows uh, Sirianni a little bit. And you wonder if that puts him over somebody else. But it seems that he would not be uh, – I mean, everybody seems to really be high on Watkins. He's obviously not going to be above the other two. So you wonder how much that actually gets him, uh, gets pl- how much playing time that actually gets him. Yeah, they have to find out, and I'm sure that that's what they're going to be doing in training camp and start of the season, is if that if they if Quez Watkins' skill set can translate well to the slot. Ordinarily, a guy with that kind of speed, you want on the perimeter, you want him drawing flags downfield, you want him commanding defensive attention to open up the field for others. And ordinarily, with a slot receiver, you want a really refined route runner. You want someone who can do what Jason Avant did, which is – Without much speed, he was still able to run the precise routes, make the right head fakes, and catch everything thrown at him. So Quez has not necessarily been known as the most precise route runner, but it's year three. Maybe that's something he's been working on all offseason, and he's, I believe he said he's been studying some slot receivers, and so maybe that study he takes from takes from that and, and can be your, your vertical slot receiver. Well, and, and I bring up Zach, too. I mean, he tweeted the other day, uh, actually, this morning, I guess it was. Man, the day is, uh, that's, that's what kind of day it's been. He tweeted this morning, y'all be thinking I'm just a blocking wide receiver. Nah, I will really route someone's ass up with the, uh, Ben Simmons, you know, emoji with the smoke coming out of his nose. Uh, and, and people forget, you know, he, there's a guy who's caught a lot of touchdown passes. He's got 15 touchdowns since 2018. So he's one of them guys that always just kind of finds his way in the red zone. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, um, man, first of all, if I if I see the smoking nose uh, emoji one more, I, I wouldn't mind never seeing that emoji ever again because it's just painful reminders of every Ben Simmons tweet. But <laughs> um, but I think that's the, what he said is something probably would make Jason Devon proud. Like, don't just look at me as a blocker. I can route people up. I know what it takes 
to beat the type of coverage that I typically see in the slot, and I'm and I'll catch everything. So that's a great attitude and mentality to have. The last guy I want to get your thoughts on. It's not a guy; it's a group. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, Menudo? it's it's the Teron Jackson, Patrick Johnson. You know that group of players who were got playing time last year uh, as late round picks. Are they lost in the sauce? Do, do they like those guys? You know, wh- what do you think of that like group of uh, lower drafted players who got some playing time last year? And, and you know, I don't want to say they jumped off the page or anything, but you know that right. uh, that got a playing time as sixth and seventh rounders. So, I mean, let's start with Teron Jackson and just do the numbers. And and you know, it's really hard to see him making the team unless he just outperforms like crazy. I mean, look at this defensive line. Jordan Davis already, right? That's one. Fletcher Cox, two. Javon Hargrave is three. Milton Williams is four. Uh, Derek Barnett, five. Brandon Graham, six. Okay. Uh, A guy like Teron Jackson is a pass rusher. So if you want to throw, oh, I didn't even say Josh Sweat. Josh Sweat, seven. And you want to throw a guy like Hassan Reddick in just as a pass rusher. I mean, I where does Teron Jackson fit at that point? And I mean, Marlon Tui Pelotu was trying to make this team too, um, along with the UDFA Luther Ellis. So there's just a lot of bodies there. So I, I just don't know that. I think it's going to be a real uphill battle for Teron Jackson to make the team. And, and as far as Patrick Johnson, now he's got a better opportunity because what he did, la- what he was last year was basically what Jannard Avery was. He was Jannard Avery's backup. He was that fifth guy on the line of scrimmage, kind of playing that strong side linebacker spot that now Hassan Reddick has got. Um, but Jannard Avery would come off the field. Patrick Johns would come off the field and pass rush. So to me, if you're going to play this style and you're going to have an overhang linebacker like like uh, Hassan Reddick is, you need a backup because if Hassan Reddick gets hurt, you can't just roll up your defense and run a different alignment. You need somebody to get in there and do what he does. So to me, you got Patrick Johnson and the kid that they drafted this year out of Kansas, I think in the sixth round, right? Kyron Johnson or Karan Johnson. Those two guys are probably going to jockey and battle back and forth to be Hassan Reddick's backup at the strong side linebacker spot. So those are two guys that, you know, probably don't factor in all that much is what you're saying. And then, like, you know, you had uh, Jacoby yeah, Stevens. Teams. Right, they, they drafted. Just, he yeah. didn't get a lot of playing time last year. They, they He was a safety. They're going to move the linebacker. And if you right. were saying, hey, he had a year of development at linebacker, it seems that linebacker year be lost in the sauce now, too. Yeah, you're talking about Jacob, Jacoby Stevens, Yeah, right? yep. Yeah, in fact, Adam and I were saying on the pod that dropped, this, uh, dropped Thursday morning um, might make sense to move him back to safety just because right there is a spot where you could need, you need the help and need the bodies and he could theoretically compete more now that you've upgraded linebacker the way you have. But I don't know if they want to throw away the year of development that they put on him at linebacker and for, for him to probably make the team and only play on special teams anyway. All right. Uh, Jeff Mosher, happy birthday Eagles. Uh, the weekend is here, right? Uh, it's uh, it's amazing. As we did yesterday, our preview of the NFC uh, South. Uh, that means we are getting closer to training camp because we only have two previews left. That'll be the next couple Thursdays with Andrew, uh, Adam. I'll be back next week. Jeff will be back next week. The new Inside the Birds podcast drops uh, Monday morning, six a.m. They'll have a new freshie out for you guys as well. All right, Mosh, have a great rest of your weekend, bud.
All right, man. Have right, a There's Jeff Mosher from Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com. Always good uh, to talk just a little Eagles. Now, as we get closer, I want to get some more Eagles conversation uh, throughout the rest of uh, the month here before we get to training camp. Because we just brought up a couple guys, you know, that are just lower key guys. But I think this training camp is all going to be about finding those interesting uh, battles and names. And he just mentioned Zach Pascal. He was a wide receiver under the radar guy. Milton Williams drafted last year. Where do they fit in? Uh, coming up, we got headlines. Keith Pompey in 20 minutes on the Sixers' decision and how it helped with James Harden. Pompey today on the Sports Bash. Now, back to the Sports For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. SPN. All right, here we go. A couple headlines for you on a happy hour Friday. Keith Pompey coming up in about 10 minutes from now. So what do we start with today? Well, I don't know if I'm, you'll actually be watching this, Mike, but you might have some side interest in this this weekend. So right now in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, they're having one of these, you know, Pro-Am Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournaments. Charles Barkley's there. Steph Curry's there. Well, according to sports bettors over at Caesar Sportsbook, there has been a heavy number of bettors who are betting that Charles Barkley will finish in the top 70. He is a 5-1 to one underdog to finish in the top 70. 96% of bets on this event this weekend are saying he'll get there. It'll be the best finish for him ever in one of these tournaments. And Steph Curry said, quote, no, hell no, when he was asked if Barkley will finish in the top 70, top 70, Curry says, clip that. Send it to him. Let him play it everywhere on every tee box. There is no way he is finishing in the top 70 at this tournament. Is it with real players? It's just celebrities. Oh. Um, it's like Steph Curry, Tony Yeah, Romo. No, 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 no. I wasn't sure if there was real, like a pro-am, where they are mixed in with real players. No, this is just the Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournament. Gotcha. A lot of money is raised. And how many people are in it? Uh, Typically, there's about 100. And he's got to be in the top 70? He's got to be in the top 70. Now, Barkley's an awful golfer, right? uh, Well, I mean, he's certainly better than me, but I'm going to be saying much. There are are some legitimate golf people who are in it. Um, I know that Annika Sorenstam is playing in this celebrity tournament, so... Uh, also, former tennis pro Marty Fish, he's one of the favorites to win the tournament, along with uh, John Smoltz. Vinny Del Negro is also in the tournament. Gotcha. Uh, no, I probably won't watch. PT probably will, though. Ask him at 5 o'clock? Got a funny PT story from lunch today. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this guy writes that NBA Summer League is the greatest exhibition games in sports, and it's not even close. Would you concur? 
that NBA Summer League is the greatest exhibition games in sports. I mean, maybe in today's world where almost nobody plays in exhibition games anymore, I can rock with that. Like, there's not even anything that's comparable to it. The the problem with the NBA Summer League is what you just said, Mike. There's You can't compare it to it. There, there's no other... Out- but, like, what other sport has a whole league just for their, like, young player? And, in the offseason. And, and, like, uh, that's like the equivalent of, like, okay... The guy that gets drafted number one overall in football, you're going to play in like a four-game four season, yeah. so that you can get some reps in at the at the speed. Like it's the weirdest thing that they've come up with this concept. But I said last night, Mark Jones was calling the game. The guy was calling the NBA Finals a month ago, and now he's calling us like the fact that these games are on TV like all day. They they make a huge thing out of this league. That's really was just kind of formed to let rookies play. The only thing I think is comparable on any level is maybe the Arizona Fall League. Yeah, but I'm saying I don't. You're right. I don't know why, though, other leagues don't follow suit and be like, hey, we got to do something. The NBA has this summer league, which are just meaningless games that owns two weeks. Like they send ESPN sends crews at Woj is out there. Like they are this is like Well you see that the winner's getting a championship ring this year? Oh yeah. I mean if they you have win the summer league, you are now gonna get a championship ring. They've made this a huge part of the offseason. I wouldn't I don't see why other sports wouldn't try to follow this, but the NBA Summer League is one of the best ideas that they've come up with. And it's not close. Like you mentioned the Arizona Fall League. That's the only thing I can think of. Not it's, on TV, it, though. Yeah, it's not on TV. It's not like, right, it's not like ESPN. It's ESPN, ESPN, Is too. putting games on and making a whole thing out of it right. in the fall because you got football on. Like you said, Mark Jones is on, for goodness sake. Oh, they got their top broadcasting teams doing these games. I mean. Who's doing with Mark? Is it Doris Burke? Doris Burke was there last night, I think. Gotcha. But the baseball has problems because they can't do it in the fall because of football. Now, if you had some sort, like, I guess spring training is equivalent. Yeah, but it's not just young players. That's for everyone. No, right. That, and that's getting ready for the season. You're right. going into the season. This is in the middle of the summer where you're getting ready to go into the offseason. Right, the middle of the offseason, basically. And keep in mind, you are seeing the number one pick, the number two pick. the number. You are seeing the top, top-level players play in these games, generally. Pretty cool. Very unique. Let's squeeze in one more here. Yeah, why not? I want to get your thoughts on this. Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera have both been named to the 2022 oh, All-Star Game by Rob Manfred. Now, they're not taking away from anybody else's spots in the All-Star Game, but they're both going to be put into the game. Right, so they're they're, they're allowing uh, like old or older stars if they're, they're at the end. Yeah, the bad idea is they're both basically in their last season, it seems like, for both of them. Gotta let them go. You know, one more blaze of glory. I don't have a problem with that. As long as they're, like, they're not voted in taking someone's spot. If you're making a roster spot for these guys. Yes, they're making a roster spot on each side for each guy. Yeah, I'm okay with that. It's kind of like what they did with Cal Ripken. He was now, what do you do if each side doesn't have a guy like that? You don't do it? <laughs> All right, coming up. 
Keith Pompey from the Inquirer. He joins me. Uh, what's up with this Harden deal? What's next for the Sixers? How does he think Daryl Morey has done this offseason? That's next. This is the Sports Bash. Now, back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 443 Sports Bash. Uh, Keith Pompey for the Inquirer's in Vegas. Not a bad assignment. Now, uh, Sixers doing a lot. This James Harden news looks like uh, something's happening here. We'll bring him on. But, but first, I got to let Keith know, you know, that WVU bought all their allotment of backyard brawl tickets. So that place is going to be very WVU heavy when they play Pitt on September 1. And I will be there. Yeah, it's going to be a long car ride back to uh, Morgantown, though. So we, that's all right. <laughs> you know, that's okay. I know. I know. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens, man. It's the first time they're playing in a while. So the my, my WVU yeah. brethren are getting together, and the alum are going to pack that. Uh, I guess they're playing at Heinz Field. So I just got my tickets the other day. Looking forward to it. I haven't been to a game since I graduated. And no better spot than WVU Pitt, baby. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, you're going to make me want to buy a ticket. To oh, go there. You come with us. One. Yeah. yeah I mean, dude, that's the game. That's going to be a good game. I know. So I'll let you know. We, we might have a couple extras. I'll, I'll I'll hit you up and say, yo, we got an extra if you want to come. All right? All right. You can sit in the hey, WVU. Hey. You can sit in the WVU section. You'll be great. Yeah. You know, I'll just have to bring a raincoat because I got a feeling people are going to be throwing beer on me and all that. <laughs> all right. Paint us the picture of Vegas and what we know about this James Harden. Apparently, uh, he's about to take $15 million less, according to some reports out there. Now, he hasn't signed a deal yet, but does this sound uh, like something uh, that is about to happen in your mind? I think it is. I mean, you know, you know, you know the guy Shams is a really good reporter. He, You know, he reported it. You know, you, you, you call people around, you ask and stuff. People go, um, 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 because, like, he, did, he has yet to sign it yet. So I guess, you know, they don't, they don't want my man to... To, to change his mind, probably, but but uh, you know, Shams is a good reporter, and 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 when he has stuff, you know, you, you have to say that he knows what he's talking about. Um, this is what I'll say: it says a lot about James. It says uh, because you know, a lot of guys nowadays, you know, you hear the stories about the the superstar players, even after they they lose a step, it's one of those things where they do not. They do not want to give up their money. And for this guy to basically gamble on himself and, and, and but take that, uh, that less, I know he has a player option, but to take less money, that says a lot about him. And it, it also, you know, helps, helps the team out because they're going to look at it and be like, Hey, look, you know, this dude did what he could so we can bring in a player to, to win a championship. Right. I mean, the report is that he's going to take $15 million and that he'll have a two-year mm-hmm. deal with a player option in year two. So that really sounds like both of these sides work together. You take less for us. If you play well, you can either opt back in or you can opt out and get a bigger deal here. So 
The yeah. goal is to try to do something to win this year. So if he takes $15 million less, Keith, what can they still do potentially? You know, you, you, you're hearing, like, I got to look at the numbers, but, you know, at first it was $10 million less, and if he took 10 less, it was it was one of those things where, you know, or, you know, 11 less than, you know, P.J. Tucker. But from what I'm hearing is that they can go out there and possibly get another guy in that, like, $5 million range. I'm not 100% sure because I haven't looked at the, you know, the, the figures yet, but um, but I'm hearing that's what they can do. So, and that's huge because, you know, when, when, you're, when you're going out there right about now, you know, a lot of these guys are, are looking at situations, and let's just say, okay, I got the Sixers, I got uh, the Boston Celtics, I have the Golden State Warriors. Okay, well, the Sixers can only give me a minimum salary contract, but Golden State can give me $5 million, you know, so... It's one of those things where that's going to enable them to go out there and, and get a top-notch guy and, and outbid other teams for, for those services. Because, yes, you know, we all talk about, you know, money. You want to win a championship. But if everything is equal, is you're, you're, ten, you're, you're basically going to go to the team that has more money. So I, I think this is huge for the Sixers. Keith Pompey covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um... You were pretty much way ahead of the curve on this P.J. Tucker stuff, and he actually signed, and uh, he is here now. So, yeah. Tucker, Melton, House, how much of an upgrade is this bench all of a sudden uh, in Philadelphia? You know, is it, 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 from a, uh, a standpoint of toughness, yeah, I give him that. Then uh, P.J. Tucker, he can knock down shots. All these other guys can knock down shots as well. But I think the biggest impact that they made is, is from a, a defensive and a, and a toughness um, standpoint. Like now, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there was a game two years ago in Miami, and I remember it like it was yesterday, where uh, Joel almost got into a fight, and then all of a sudden Dwight Howard almost got into a fight, and there was no one on the 76ers bench who basically was able to take their back. You know what I mean? You know, they just didn't. Like, I believe the white guy ejected. Um, but after that point, it was like you're expecting someone from the Sixers to be like, yo, you guys are messing with Joel. You can't do that. It wasn't. And and, I, and it stunned me. Mm-hmm. Now when you have, you have Joel, you have James, and then you have these guys who aren't going to let that happen. And, and I think that certain people aren't going to try things because – you know, I'm not saying P.J. Tucker is like a bad dude, but he has a reputation as a guy that nobody messes with. And then also, you know, we look at it. He can guard multiple positions. And, I mean, he beat James Harden up. He locked him up. You know, he, he locked up a couple other people. So I, I think that helps. Now, if I ask a question with me is, you know, Daniel House didn't really look good last year in the playoffs. And uh, the Anthony Melton, the last two playoffs, year, last two seasons, he kind of struggled a bit. So I like what they did, that, but these are two guys that I need, I want to see more of once the playoffs start. But yes, they are a better team, but I do think that the Sixers still need to go out there and get like a, a, a Danny Green type of replacement, like a guy that can D also but is also versatile and someone who can play that starting small forward spot or, or come off the bench and do that if you continue to keep Tobias Harris. 
So I think that's the missing piece for the 76ers right now. Yeah, I guess uh, a lot of people are still wondering, is Maury got some other trick up his sleeve? Do you, Keith, anticipate that there's still a bigger move coming, or is it just going to be another one of these little bit pieces and that they're going to try to run it back with this core and a and a different, you know, a better version in their mind, hopefully, of James Harden? Well, I think if James Harden is taking less money and more than we thought he was going to take, and they're talking about winning the championship, there has to be a bigger piece coming. And 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 it may not be like a huge piece. Like, you know, we, we were hearing about Eric Gordon, you know, like they were really trying to get Eric Gordon at, at on draft night. And from what you hear, it's like they couldn't have having a hard time getting a third team involved and, and whatever. And, and now it's like, oh, well, you know, that's died down a little bit. I still think that they're going to try to go after him and get him. I do. And and when we look at that, you know, some people may say, okay, well, that's not that great piece that we wanted. But what it is 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 a piece that can fit in with your stars. You know what I mean? You need a team. Like right now you got Maxie, you have Joel, and you have James Harden. Those are going to be the stars. You need other pieces, guys who can make shots, guys who can do all the other things. Like, you know, hey, as much as, as great as Kobe and Shaq were, they wouldn't have won those championships. You can argue if it wasn't for Robert Ory making these clutch shots at certain, you know, in, in clutch games. So I think that that's what the Sixers need. And because um, when I look at this roster now, it's great, great upgrades. But you look at Boston made some upgrades. Milwaukee made some upgrades. So, yes, the 76ers got better, but so did the other two teams who are, who were already better than the 76ers. Uh, so, you're- yeah, I'm, I'm – Boy, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, you're in Vegas and the Summer League, which I think is one of the most unique professional sports exhibitions out there, that you have this league going on with some of these top draft picks. Uh, it, it's truly unique, but how much do we take from it? Because I asked with Paul Reed and Charles Bassey and Charlie Brown and Joe, these guys are guys that might get rotational minutes, so... Um, are you watching with a little extra eye this year on Sixers Summer League? You know what? I, I look at it, but it's one of those things, like when we looked at, uh, let's just say in Salt Lake City, right? B-ball, Paul, Paul Reed, whatever people want to call him. You know, he was he was phenomenal in that first game. But when you when you come back and you go back to your room and you say to yourself, okay, but that's what I expected. You know, he's a rotation big in the NBA. That's what he is. So you expect him to dominate against these type of competitions. To me, the thing is, a lot of times, you know, you want to see what guys are working on their game. And then you want to also look and see if they're struggling. Like typically, if a guy is struggling against this type of competition, um, especially here in Vegas, where it's all hyped up and the crowd is getting into it, then you may have some concerns about this guy because, you know, the competition in the preseason is going to be elevated. And then you also know what the competition is going to be like in the regular season. So, you know, when you have these high top number one first overall picks and especially third year guys, you know, you like Isaiah Joe, you, you expect these guys to come away, um, performing well. And, and when they don't, that's when it's like, uh oh. We may have a problem. Right. All right. Uh, Sixers Summer League continuing. Keith's got all that coverage. You can follow him on Twitter. And, of course, uh, the 
uh, NBA offseason kind of slowing down a bit, but we'll see if Daryl Morey has something. By the way, at Pompeii on Sixers, you can follow him on Twitter. All right, Keith, enjoy the rest of Vegas, and I'll catch up with you soon, bud. All right, man. Hell to pit. All right, take me home. Q Country Roads. Here we go. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPNC. A pit guy and a WVU guy. We can backyard brawl and get along for all of about 12 minutes. We can handle each other there here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Hill. Hey, Philly's lineup is out. You want me to give that to you? Here we go. I got it for you. I can get it in before the top of the hour. Here we go. Schwarber, Hoskins, Castellanos, Hall, Real Muto, D.D., Stott, Bohm, Herrera in center field, Wheeler. Herrera in center over Moniak. The two lefties are, they got two left-handies platooning with each other. Jeez. Uh, Wheeler's pitching tonight. Happy Hour Friday with the PT is up next. Listen for your name if you enter to win tickets to see the weekend. I'll have that name next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Happy Hour Friday. Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. If you have the mobile app, you've been entering to win tickets to see the weekend next Thursday night, Lincoln Financial Field. I got the winning name for you. I'm going to announce that now before Happy Hour Friday with the PT. And a congratulations out there. We want to uh, congratulate uh, Doug Alexander. Doug Liss Alexander. Doug Alexander, you won tickets to go see the weekend. Douglas Alexander. If you know Douglas Alexander, let him know. He just won tickets to go see the weekend Thursday night. Douglas Alexander, if you're listening, give us a call at 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. We'll send you out your tickets. We'll get you tickets for the weekend. And uh, don't forget to get the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app will be giving away something else next week but you gotta have the app to win it is a happy hour friday pete thompson is in the house on this happy hour friday as we get you ready for the weekend hi peter hello michael how are you all right pt i got a trivia question for you (laughs) all right (laughs) all right so we'll set the stage we're at lunch today and gentleman asked us a trivia question he says in the 1964 All-Star game, yeah. Johnny Callison hit the game-winning home run. Right, had a walk-off home run, three-run home run. To win the All-Star game. Yeah. Which two players were on the bases when he hit the home run and scored? Yes. Yes. That was the question. That was now, the you question. quickly jumped in and said, like, hey, man, that's, like, way early before my time and I was born in 71 so that would have made me minus seven but I attempted to answer the question you did leading with Hank Aaron correct right now that was your first attempt at the answer and I give you some points for that you guessed Hank Aaron was it actually correct uh no but I did get a good guess that's incorrect right so you did give a good guess 
your first guess. The guess after that <laughs> went a little down the hill. So the guess after that, the guess after that were were terrible. Right. Your next guess for the people out there listening. All right. Now this is the All Star Game we're talking about here. Okay. Right. The All Star Game. Yeah. PT seemed to think that Johnny Callison's three run home run <laughs> brought in pitcher Rick Wise and pitcher Jim Bunting. Both of them somehow were on the bases at the same time and it's came around to score on the Johnny Callison home run. <laughs> and the worst part is, like, you, I mean, like, in tennis, Wimbledon is going on right now. It's Wimbledon, not Wimbledon. I basically set you up with a short ball that you came to that and smashed right back in my face. I mean, you were like, woohoo, your eyes got real big, and you just eviscerated me for my guesses. To the point that I finally said, well, I don't hear you making any guesses. I didn't have a guess because I wasn't going to come out with something like Rick Wise, who, by the way, in 1964 was 18 years old. He actually made it to the majors and pitched that season with the Phillies. He was 5-3 and three with a 4.04 ERA in eight games. Hardly all-star material, but in 1964, <laughs> he was a rookie. <laughs> and he did pitch in the majors. I'll give you two so points see, for that. I was trying to get my head in the frame of 1964 because the second day that I said, right, he, Rick Wise won his major league debut. His first major league win was the second game of a doubleheader on June 21st. Do you know what happened in the first game when Rick Wise debuted? Uh, I don't. Jim Bonning threw a perfect game. Right. Well, in that so season, in by words, the way, Rick in Wise 19 was the second half of the doubleheader on Father's Day in 1964, Jim Bunting was 19 and eight with a 2.63 ERA and actually was an All Star. So he was on the roster, PT, but he was not <laughs> on second base when Johnny Callison hit the no, home run. No, it was just it was total word. I was. Totally vomiting down my chest. I did recover. The next name that I threw out was Willie Mays. And Willie Mays was correct. Uh, Willie Mays was the, on the bases when Johnny Callison hit the home run. Yes, you are correct. I went back, then I think I went back to more word bleh. As I think I, the next name that came out of my mouth, I believe, was Harmon Killebrew. To which somebody pointed out, isn't he in the American League? <laughs> Meanwhile, you hadn't made a guess yet, still. Well, I said 1964. I mean, I was born in 77. I wasn't even a glint in anybody's eye at that point. I think I did. My father was sitting at the table. You know, he didn't offer a guess either, by the way. No, no, your father hadn't. This all happened before your dad got there, and then we repeated the experience to see what answers your dad knew. Right. So, Harmon Killebrew, by the way, uh, in 1964, was an all-star, but... He was playing for the Twins, who are, of course, in the American League. Uh, and then I threw out uh, Stan Musial, because then the guy was trying to help us. The guy that asked the question was trying to help us, and he uh, said that these guys were Hall of Famers. So I threw out Stan Musial as a choice. Well, keep in mind, in 1964 up to about 2004, I'm just throwing a random year out, most All-Stars were like, all-star, real all-stars, Hall of Famers. You knew them all. 
And they were, by the way, Stan Musial was not in the league in 1964. He was 43 that, that years old. That is correct. Old. He was 43 that, that is years correct. old. Stan Musial was uh, drinking, drinking a Budweiser and enjoying retirement. To be fair, he was still in the league at 42 years old in 1963. Uh, oh, but by close. 64, yeah. he had called it, uh, called it quits. God, I'm scanning down this roster here. The National League roster was... Willie Stargell, Hank Aaron, Joe Torrey, Ken Boyer, Jim Bunning, by the way, Smokey Burgess, Johnny Callison, Leo Cardenas, Orlando Cepeda, I have his autograph somewhere, Roberto Clemente, who turned out to be the second answer, Don Drysdale, Johnny Edwards, Dick Ellsworth, Turk Farrell, Kurt Flood, remembered more for opening up free agency, Dick Grote, how do you not know Dick Grote? Ron Hunt, Sandy Koufax, Juan Marichal, Willie Mays, Mazeroski, Bill Mazeroski, Ronnie Santo, he's in the Hall of Fame, Chris Short, Bill White, and Billy Williams. There's your National League roster. Good team right there. Yeah, I mean, back in there, uh, in that era, when you made the All-Star team, man, you were talking about the best of the best. Now guys make the All-Star team. You never even heard of half these guys. They make it one year. They don't make it back the next year. It's a bunch of flame outs and... You know, huh? It was at Shea Stadium. That's probably the year Shea Stadium opened, right? Um, no, I would imagine Shea Stadium probably opened. Uh, well, where did the April seventeenth, nineteen sixty four? So that was the. Year I would say, Shea well, Stadium what year? Opened. What year were the Mets came in? Like sixty two? The Amazing Mets, or the just when did they start? No, it's sixty nine, right? Was the Amazings. Yeah, so where did, that was they, where did they play at that time? In 69, they played at Shea Stadium. Well, then that, Shea you Stadium just, opened in 1964. In 64 was when they played? When they played? When they, when, no, when was the franchise originated, is what I'm saying. Oh, you want to know when the Mets started? 62. All right, that's what I said, 62. So where did they play for their first two years? The Polo Grounds? Yes, Polo Grounds in Manhattan before they moved to Queens. Gotcha. All right. I, yeah. I, I, I thought 64 to 08, they were at Shea, and now they're at City Field. You ever go to Shea? I never went to Shea. I've been to City Field. I got me that big old piece of bacon there. Uh, they had, like, bacon on a stick. That was amazing. I did not get an IPA to go with it. I was feverishly looking up IPA flavors before you brought me on, by the way. And uh, uh, I was sat right above Utley's Corner there, so in that weird configuration that – uh, City Field had, uh, and in fact, I think Utley was still with the team at that point when I went up to City Field, and I think he might have had a home run in that game. I have not been to City Field. I was at Shea. Mm, interesting. Yes. Well, they were basically right across the street from each other, and the Arthur Ashe USTA Tennis Center is right there. You ever there been too. there, PT? Uh, I've never been inside, nor have I gotten a chocolate sundae all over my face like Costanza. <laughs> right. Now, you were saying something today that you were at some event or game that I was a little surprised by. I can't mm. remember what it was. Interesting. Uh, I was at a game or event that you were surprised by. Yeah, we were talking. It somehow came up today. Which, by the way, my, my like... Um, nephew who's just finished kindergarten was at lunch with us today and i said to christopher hey ask the big guy over here if he knows who rick wise is yeah that was nice how you planted the seed but then the funny thing was you were like well you you know pete and he's kind of looking at me like i do right and then he says to me do you play for the phillies well you have a phillies you have a phillies polo on I said, I wish. And then I said something about, I'm more like the Philly fanatic. And then he gets real serious and says, are you the Philly fanatic? (laughs) (laughs) No, I just share his shape.
<laughs> well, let's talk a little Phillies here. They got this uh, weekend set with the Cardinals coming up. And, uh, you know, they lose that game, the middle game against the Nationals. Herrera takes that awful, uh, you know, direction on that ball. But they get two out of three. This is a pretty big one now with the Cardinals because, you know, the, these two teams are neck and neck in that wild card standing. Well, I'd like to see a repeat of what I saw on Sunday with my dad. You know what I mean? It was uh, it's Zach Wheeler and Adam Wainwright again. This is the same matchup that I saw on Sunday night. And uh, the Phillies got after Wainwright. I mean, Schwarber's been unbelievable right now like uh was it um mcgarry that told you earlier in the show that he's on a babe ruth type pace of or a faster pace than even babe ruth was in his prime of how many games he's go or how often he's hitting home runs it's it's unbelievable i mean he's there was a long period of time where ryan howard was don't go get a soda don't go get a hot dog or anything make sure you're there for a ryan howard at bat kyle schwarber is entering that territory and you're missing out. I mean, you gotta kind of got to watch his at-bats. Yeah, and you got to hope that uh, he doesn't cool off anytime soon either because you're going to need him to kind of carry you until Bryce Harper gets back, which, you know, the way McGarry talked about it earlier this week, he said he doesn't think Harper's back until at least September. Yeah, I mean, uh, we had that doctor on, Dr. Nate uh, Bodine, last Sunday, and he, he talked about it being closer because – and at the time, we didn't know for sure. He had said there was a pin. There's multiple pins in there to stabilize the thumb. Um, and uh, But Bryce Harper emphatically has said that he wants to come back. So uh, I, I do think he'll come back. I, I credit him for saying he'll come back regardless of where they are in the race. Uh, I like to hear that. I always like to hear an athlete say, you know, when, when the choice is out there, of, ah, I could pack it in and worry about myself. I always like to see an athlete that uh, puts team above self, and I think that Bryce Harper is doing that. Well, what about team before self? It looks like James Harden is going to take $15 million less to stay with the Sixers. Now, um, we don't know the exact terms, but it looks like he's going to take a $15 million pay cut, Peter, and then a player option for year number two, uh, so that, according to... Uh, some reports that the salary will be about $32 million and the total value of the contract will be $68 million. So uh, it looks like he is going to take less to try to help the Sixers out. But we knew that was going to be the case. We didn't realize it was going to be that less. Yeah, I think that number is, is significant, you know, and I did hear you qualify it earlier in the show today by saying, you know, it's not like James Harden isn't going to make more money after he gets through this portion of his contracts, you know, like there's still money out there to be had, but it's so refreshing to me and rare to me to see a guy take less. I mean, that, that just really doesn't happen very often in the NBA. So, uh, but he recognizes that, you know, I, I think this last season showed James Harden, like, Oh, I am human. Oh, there is a finite clock on this career of mine. Oh, the clock is ticking. And if I'm going to make a run at it, we can't do it as currently constructed. It's already helped out. I mean, you know, uh, by him opting out of the deal, then that cleared enough space for them to bring in P.J. Tucker. And as we talked about at lunch today, who's next? You know, I mean, uh, by taking less money, that's the ultimate, you know, selfless act I think that he could do. But you qualify that by saying it's not like he's still not going to earn enough money or he hasn't earned enough money in his career. Like, how much is enough? And and I just love to see that a guy says, you know what, $47.36 million. Yeah, I, I could get by for 32 well, 
<laughs> right. You 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 have this mindset, you know, like people like us who are like, hey, if you gave me thirty two million, how am I crying? I mean, you never know. Like I said earlier, would you even notice the difference in your check if you were making forty seven million and you got a check and then you got a check for thirty two? Like, are you paying that close attention to what your check looks like? And I get it. Like, this is an ego thing and stuff like that. But this is to me Harden. He has formulated a friendship and a trust with Daryl Morey, and yeah. they came together and said, listen, you help me, I'll help you. You take less. If you outperform this, you can opt into that deal, and that second year you can make all the money you want, or you can opt out, and we're going to have to pay you a boatload of money. But help me out this year so that we can take our best shot at this thing. Right, and, and I just I think that, that you know you can't overlook the relationship that he has with Daryl Morey and the trust that they have in each other, and the fact that again, Father Time is maybe creeping up on him now. There's been reports that you know his workouts in in the off season in Houston have looked good. Uh, we also saw a guy that got traded from here that always looked good in workouts. Like I don't want to, I don't want to see a guy that looks good in workouts. I want to see a guy who comes back and puts up like has that burst of speed again. I mean that was that was what he, you know when he lost his quickness last year. Was that a physical thing? Was that a one off? Was that a one year thing? Or is that something that's the the first signs of a guy that's never going to be? The same again. I mean, his free throw attempts went down, and, and that step back isn't nearly as effective if you're not worried about the guy blowing by you. So, well, uh, you know, was that a one-off or is that a continuing thing? Yeah, I, I, and I listen. Everybody can have an opinion, and no one will know the answer till we actually see him. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can be. He the the hamstring was bothering him. He's lost a step. He didn't mesh because they didn't have enough practice. They didn't have an off season together. All of that stuff. There's so many different things you could say as to why Harden wasn't the Harden you thought you were kind of getting. We won't know the true answer till he gets back out there. So this is what you have. He took $15 million left to prove that all those answers are wrong and that I'm still James Harden. And I give him some credit for that. He's betting on himself. I tip my cap to that. $32 million, He's. I'm not crying poor, but you get the sense that he's betting on himself here, which I think helps this team out in the long run. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, betting on yourself is always a good proposition, I think. You know, I mean, sometimes you uh, come up snake eyes, sometimes you win. But, you know, remember, we're talking about a guy that was named the NBA 75th best players in the, N- in the NBA. I mean, it's if he could even get slightly back in that direction, the Sixers are going to benefit from that. And I, I think it speaks volumes. You know, everybody was excited when he first came in, that hot start that he had. You know, it was almost like just add Harden. Boom, you're going to win it all. And that quickly changed as teams understood that this wasn't the same James Harden and didn't have the same step. I still think that you can't really put a value, though, on like what impact did James Harden have on James or on Tyrese Maxey, right? What impact did he have on the younger players in there? And what impact will he have go, moving forward? I mean, what does that say to your teammates, you know, who are all NBA players as well, and most of them are making a lot of money? What does that say to them when you say, you know what, I'm willing to forego money now to be able to make this team even stronger? I, I think that's an unbelievable statement to his own teammates as well. Uh, Pete Thompson, here we go. Um, Flyers made a move. Uh, it is getting some mixed reviews, to say the least. Uh, they trade for defenseman Tony D'Angelo. 
in exchange for three draft picks over the next three years. The Flyers then signed D'Angelo, two years, $10 million. So he is locked down for the next two seasons. Uh, some people think, you know, they brought in a bad guy. Some people say, hey, this was exactly what they needed. Where do you kind of sit on what the Flyers did today with where they are in the standings and this move and how it fits on the ice? Well, first and foremost, uh, this is a CYA move, right? I mean, the, the first thing that they're looking at is that they're just, I mean, even though he said that he's going to be good to go, even though Ryan Ellis has said, I, I, I'm ready to come back and I'm going to play and this, that, the other, you know, they're just not 100% sure. And to me, Gil, uh, offense or uh, defensemen in the NHL, decent, like actual good defensemen are like offensive linemen in the NFL. You can never have enough quality defensemen, okay? And this guy is an established NHL guy. And so, like, the other night, Sam Carcitti tweeted out last night during the draft, and we'll talk about that pick, but he said it's the fact that the Flyers selected Cutter Gauthier instead of the right-handed D-man David Juracek seems to indicate they aren't as concerned about Ryan Ellis' long-term health. Yeah, he tweeted that out last night before the Flyers then went around and traded for Tony D'Angelo. And why did they do that? just to CYA and make sure that they're they're backed up. I mean, the guy's 26 years old, right? You're right about some of his issues off the ice. I mean, uh, you know, there were teammates in New York that he got suspended twice by the uh, Ontario Hockey League. There were teammates in New York that didn't like him, apparently uh, got uh, upset with his behavior. And the Rangers, like, waved him. I mean, the fact, like, waving is, that's just straight up, you know, you're out. Like, I mean, uh, we don't want to see you. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. You know, I mean, he got in a fight with Alexander Gregoriev, you know, the Rangers goalie. So, uh, and who knows what that was about. Uh, I think a guy like this, the chance to get a guy who is an established NHL guy, right? His numbers, 10 goals and 51 points last season. That's like more than ghost, for example, you know, he's a power play specialist, but he was, like, if you put up with Shane Gostisbehere and how terrible he was, this guy's slightly better, and he's from here. I mean, you know, he was from Sewell, New Jersey, and he grew up in Washington Township, and I just think this is a guy that's going to be like a duck to water when he gets here. And, again, it's it's a total protective move, and I don't think that they gave up that much. Three draft picks to get him, that, that's, you know, that's not a huge I guess I guess guy. one of the questions is, you know, you bring in a guy and you sign him for two years, and where is this team? Is this the kind of guy that is this where this is this where this franchise is right now? Is that the kind of guy of where this franchise is? I mean, I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just wondering. Like, I asked Durso yesterday, do right. they think too highly of themselves? Do they think they're further along than they really are? And he said, yes, I think they do. I would agree with that because the first time that they had a conversation, like when they let Vigneault go and when they had their end of the season conversations, you know, multiple times, Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott have used the word like this isn't a rebuild. This is a retool. And I, I think they're I think it's more of a rebuild than they're willing to admit. But, you know, at least they're making moves, you know, they and they kept their draft pick, too. And I don't think they biffed. I mean, we'll find out. It'll take a while, but I don't think they whiffed on their draft pick either. Thank God, you know. I mean, uh, we'll we'll find out. It's it's very very new, but you know, here's a guy that's uh, he's a size guy, you know, and, and he's a guy that uh, a lot of people thought they were going to go with the defenseman, and the fact that he went for a six two forward who who, by the way, is like you, you know, I always use this line like there's a difference between 
being cocky and confident. I would call Cutter Gauthier confident, right? Borderline cocky, but confident. And he's going to go to BC. He's going to go to Boston College, and they're going to move him into a center position. He's been playing the wing. But, like, the biggest thing that he said was, you know, I think I'm the complete package. The defensive side of the game is a big part of my game. Taking care of the defensive zone, I mean, that's got to be music to – John Tortorella's ears, because that's exactly what he preaches, and that's very much what the Flyers were lacking last year, accountability and two-way players that, you know, hey, you can't just play and try to score goals in the offensive end. You have to forecheck. You have to be aggressive. He said something, too, about, like, being like a dog with a bone. Like, if the puck goes in the corner, he's going to go down there and come out with that puck, and okay, I'm all about that. Similar to uh, when you said Rick Wise today. I was a dog with the bone. Just I would not let go of that answer there, Pete Thompson. Um, I hear you, brother. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, I want to get out on this. I don't know if you saw these comments from uh, Jordan Spieth today, but he said, because okay. of false reporting today, I feel the need to comment. Let me be clear. Any reports that I am contemplating competing anywhere other than the PGA Tour are categorically untrue. I am not in discussions with Liv. I have been quoted on the record for months that I am fully supportive of the PGA Tour, and I have never considered any alternatives. My goal has not changed since I began playing golf, to win PGA Tour events and major championships, and to compete against the best players in the world. Those who truly know me know what is most important to me. So... We've got about a month now of PGA Tour versus Live. Is this? Uh, have you seen any Live? Have you watched any of it? This speed thing comes out. He categorically shutting that down. But we have seen some more guys cross over. We got this video of um, uh, the, Greg Norman throwing beers off the top of the you know to all the fans, and they're shotgunning beers at these oh events. My God. I mean, they're trying to make it like a Happy Gilmore type of setting out there. Was that last week at Pumpkin Ridge? I didn't see that video. The video I saw was the plane ride, I guess. Like, Liv must have got a plane together to take people over from Pumpkin Ridge, where they played last week, to Scotland or over to the Open, you know, to get them over to St. Andrews in time. And I saw a video of, like, the nicest damn plane I've ever seen. And people were like, it had a bar. It had like seating area. I was like, wow, this is really fancy. And then I saw Pat Perez, who I personally. No, Pat Perez almost ran me over in a parking lot once in Omaha, but that's a whole other story. But Pat Perez and Jason Gore were good buddies. Pat Perez, longtime PGA Tour guy. When they had the PGA Tour Championship and they did that, like, Manning cast type thing with Joe Buck and the caddy, you know, uh, Michael, uh, I forget the Collins, Collins, right? Yeah, when they did that, they had Pat Perez as a guest on there. The other guy they had was Freddie Couples. Well, now Pat Perez goes out and goes to live. Freddie Couples says, I'll never speak to him again. Okay, Freddie, you were like best buds on TV three weeks ago, and now all of a sudden the guy's dead to you. But the thing that's telling to me, Mike, is that Pat Perez shot an 80, 8-0. For like a PGA Tour you might, a player you, or a professional golfer, an 80 is like shooting 100. I mean, it's terrible. He shot an 80, and he still cashed a check for like 125000 or something like that. That's It's all about the money. All right, no, well, I haven't I've, watched it yet. I, was just I saying, haven't really found it yet. Have you, okay, you haven't found it, watched it, none of the above. All right, well, it's yeah. uh, there you go, uh, Jordan Spieth. We got that. 
Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, Douglas Alexander, congratulations to him. He won tickets to see the weekend. He got the app. He entered to win. He's going to see the weekend. So congratulations to him. We got all that in there. Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Phillies weekend. Uh, we've got the Sixers Summer League, the Flyers trade. The All-Star break is on the way. So and that's much. another happy hour Friday in the books. Peter, thanks, buddy. M- Michael, good luck getting your IPA, buddy. Try a new one. I'm on the elusive search for a good one. We had so the <laughs> listeners gave me a lot of good options today. Keep them coming. All right, keep them coming. Thanks, Pete. All right, Pete Thompson, everybody, here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. That's where you can download us and take us on the beach, the boardwalk, your bike ride, walking the dog. When we come back, we'll get into a little football. And whatever else is on our mind. Between now and the top of the hour, don't go away. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. South Jersey's sports leader. Good way to get your weekend going. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. We're brought to you by the Atlantic City Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flight from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, San Juan, Atlanta, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. Got the locker room with Billy Schwime. 10 o'clock. Saturday mornings here on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Uh, Josh Jennings, my producer. As we uh, get you ready for uh, the whole weekend here, man. We've got Red Sox-Yankees. So I want to kind of get into this a little bit. Red Sox Yankees. They were talking about this um, this the other day, I guess. Um, I don't know who's filling in for Barton Hahn. Oh, it was Jason Fitz. No, it was uh, on Greeny this afternoon or Friday afternoon or Thursday. I don't even know what day it is anymore. The holiday got me all messed up. Carlin, maybe? Carlin and Hembo. We're talking about how the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry doesn't feel the same anymore. And... They were making, really, the the claim that the Yankees' bigger rivalry now isn't the Red Sox. It's either the Rays or the Astros. And there was a while back that I brought this up. And I said that baseball really got hurt by two things that happened. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've heard you make this argument before about the Red Sox and the Cubs winning the World Series, and it took away the nostalgia of them being the lovable losers. That is correct. And one of the things that Hembo said was... That's what point I do listen to you sometimes. <laughs> that, that's well done. 
Um, Hembo brought up that after the Red Sox won that championship, that he thinks the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry lost some of its luster. To which I have contended that since the Red Sox won their World Series championship, that they lost their luster as a team that you got 162 games of the chase of them trying to break the curse of the Bambino only to fail. Once they did it, a major storyline in baseball was eradicated. And then you only had one left. The Cubs, the curse of the Billy Goat. Every year, the lovable losers. They didn't win a championship going back to 1908. Well, then all of a sudden, they win a World Series, and now that storyline is gone. So two of the biggest storylines that baseball had basically evaporated. Every year, there was this, hey, is this the year for the Red Sox? Is this the year for the Cubs? And when that went away, really, what stories does baseball have when you enter the season? So agree or disagree that these are some of the things. I said this years ago. I said it in 2016 when the Cubs won the World Series. That the Cubs winning the World Series isn't good for baseball. It was actually bad for baseball. It was good in the moment, but the moment only lasts for the moment. And now you don't have that story anymore. And you lost the Red Sox story way long ago because they kept winning. The Red Sox won a World Series. And you can make the argument that they became more successful than the Yankees. And that that rivalry has suffered because of the Red Sox success. So my initial response is to say, and then I know this answer may sound duplicitous, but hear me out for a second. I think you're right and wrong. I think you're right in the fact that, yes, when you took away the Red Sox and the Cubs winning the World Series, you took away from the narrative of of the novelty of the sport. You know, for a lot of people, the casual fan, the person who doesn't listen to... 97.3 ESPN all day and night. They only listen to maybe like their 30-minute drive to and from work. Or they don't watch SportsCenter all the time. They just watch it when they get around to it kind of thing. For the casual sports fan, which is more of those than the diehard, they like to have things they can hang on to. It's, hey, I know who Tom Brady is. He's been playing forever. I know who that guy is. Hey, the Cubs always lose, right? The lovable losers, yeah. So for a lot of people, when those teams lost, there was a, well, now what? Well, what's going on now? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm not dialed into baseball 24-7. So I think, yes, there was a part of the nostalgia, part of the novelty, part of the, the overall baseball narrative that basically was lost altogether, especially considering there was 100 years worth of it built up. For both teams. For both teams, right. But the problem is, on the flip side, where I think it's that that perspective is wrong is, you made a comment, Mike, where you said that baseball lost that. Well, then baseball needs to do a better job at telling its story. Oh, I don't disagree because with that. One the, because one of the problems that I have with baseball is that, you know, 
baseball has a history of doing a bad job at promoting itself over the last 15 to 20 years. You know, when I was younger, you go to a Phillies game and you're either you're coming over the bridge or you're driving around Pennsylvania. You used to see these big billboards of Jimmy Rollins plays for the Phillies or whoever was on the Phillies. Now, all of a sudden, every advertisement is usually about the fans, the stadium, the fanatic. Half the time when you see an advertisement for baseball, it's not even about the the players anymore. It's not even about the game on the field. And I think that is a huge part of the reason why the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry is taking a hit is because the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry was about the nostalgia of the rivalry. Now, people don't even remember when the Yankees-Red Sox game is on unless they maybe accidentally stumble upon yeah i don't agree with that i don't agree with that you know because what happened to the yankees red sox and i think hembo brought this up and it was a good point that he made is once the red sox won the world series you had a rivalry built on one team who had the most success in the history of the game against a team that was notorious for its lack of its ability to win but what's a rivalry if the other team never wins it is that is what the rivalry is. It doesn't mean, you know, you have Ohio State-Michigan. Is that not a rivalry? Michigan never beats Ohio State. But it's the chase. You have this, we want to overtake the team that we hate the most and we can't do it. So what, and the Red Sox much, were supposed to never win a World Series just to appease everybody who's too lazy no, to come up with a new narrative? No, no, no. But I feel like when they won... It stripped down some of what made that rivalry the fierce rivalry that it was. Was here's this team that is, they were tied together from a trade. Correct. That this curse of the Bambino, which obviously is not a real thing, but it was this fable. It was a part of Americana. Correct. And once that went away, it's like, okay, well then what brings these two teams together? Why are these two teams in this rivalry type of rift? Why should you care, basically? Right. The chase is no longer there. The Red Sox have won a World Series. Now they've won another World Series. And the Yankees have not, you know, the Yankees won one World Series in what? Oh, nine. They beat the Phillies. That's the last time they've won. The Red Sox have won won twice since then. Isn't it three? Because they won with 04, 07. No, no, but. Well, they won in 04 and 07, and then they won again in 13 and in 18. So four. So, yeah, now essentially they are more successful than the Yankees are. Not historically. But in the last 20 years. But in the last 20 years, which has caused that rivalry to kind of flip upside down to where it is not the same. The whole meaning, the whole basis of the rivalry was that this historic franchise, the Yankees, had the curse of the Bambino. They took your player away. And that you could no longer win the World Series because you gave us this player and then he said you're never going to win again. And you never won. Right. And then you did. And then you did again. And then you did again. And then you did again. And Hembo's point was that basically he feels that the Yankees have a bigger, bigger rivalry now with a team like the Astros and even the Rays. Because if the Rays are this upstart team that has actually had more success than you in recent years, 
and that they don't respect the Yankees, even though the Yankees have all this success in their history. But I don't think anybody's buying into this Yankees-Rays rivalry, not nationally anyway, because the Rays don't have a story. Professional wrestling has withstood the test of time. It's not real, but people get hooked into the story. That's why wrestling works. There's story behind these ridiculous matches that are predetermined. People like story. And there's no story with Yankees Red Sox. There's no story with the Cubs anymore. But hold on, is there is there not a story or is nobody telling a good story? What story you, what you story meant, are we missing out on? Well, first of all, you mentioned pro wrestling. What's the biggest difference between you know, for example, the Attitude Era of the late 90s, which most of us who love that era are nostalgic about, and recent pro wrestling. People will say, oh, it's not the same, the storyline well, is the same. Well, the, the problem so, is the graphic nature of the 90s television, you can't put some of that stuff on TV like you could back then. True, but the point is, is that some of what made that, as you just said, was the story. So isn't it on baseball to tell a better story right okay and then i turn this question to you what story is baseball not telling well for example you just mentioned how the red sox have dominated the yankees in the last 20 years why don't they play into that why don't they play into are the yankees now the underdog are the red sox the dominant franchise why don't they play into that conversation i mean I don't think anybody's buying that the Yankees are an underdog with a $275 million payroll. It's kind of hard to, to portray a story that's really not logical. Well, there are people who make stupid amounts of money just for marketing purposes. You're telling me that they can't come up with a better idea? Like, do you, like to me, okay, the Cubs won the World Series. Well, the biggest problem for the Cubs right now is that after they won the World Series and they couldn't follow it up, they had to break down the entire team, and now they're in a hard rebuild all over again. Right, but selling a rebuild is not something that you can market to, hey, watch the Cubs, they're rebuilding. The whole point of watching the Cubs when they weren't good enough was, ah, better maybe next year. We'll do it again next year. It was always next year in the lovable losers. When that went out the window, that's a team that nationally lost its appeal as this lovable loser team and better luck next year. So it's hard to rebrand that once they've won. Because once you win, once you're on top, you now become the team that either people are like, well, they won. That That's over. But to me, that just sounds like it's being lazy. Look what the Sixers did. Nobody care about the Sixers for a 12-year period. You've documented this a million times on here on the Sports Bash, Mike. How many times have you said, does nobody care about the Sixers? They had to rebrand. They had to do the process. They had to rebuild. And the fact that people were are still screaming and arguing about the process but, means that it worked. But that took three to four years of basically hitting rock bottom. Is baseball as a sport in as a whole, are they ready to hit rock bottom to climb their way back to the top? The Astros did it until they won a World right. Series. That's one team. I'm saying as a sport, are they ready to basically say, hey, come watch our sport basically hit rock bottom? And I think one of the problems that baseball has is 
They understand that their game is not very good right now. They do not have a marketable game. They don't have a fun game. They don't have an entertaining product. So they don't have anything to market. And once they lost these stories, now they really ran into it. Is we don't have these stories to try to hook you in with these teams of these that are lovable losers and curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat and yada, yada, yada. And we also have a bad product. It's hard to market a product that's not a good product. Well, and then, I think that's the answer is baseball looked at itself in the mirror, relied on its old faithful for as long as they could because they know they don't have a good product to market. So then is baseball, if they fix the product, is that sufficient enough to revive some It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. If they fix the product, I don't know how they do it pitch clock you're going to draw people back because of a pitch clock robo umpires am i going to watch a game again because the umpires are robo maybe you might have people say oh those umpires blew so many calls now i'm going to watch because i want to see this how this game looks without you know what i mean and maybe that will draw more you have to make sure that if you do the umpire thing and the pit like it all has to work you have to draw everybody in at this at one time and it has to click because your product right now is not very good Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. We'll close out today's show. Coming up. Now, back to the... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus... You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, we're getting ready to wrap up the show. Josh has game night coming up next. This weekend, we got Yankees, Red Sox, Saturday and Sunday. And then we're getting into uh, Phillies, Cardinals this weekend. And then they'll be in Toronto for a couple. Miami next weekend. That'll be the All-Star break. We'll have the All-Star game at the Derby here on 97.3 ESPN. Hopefully everybody enjoys their weekend. Some of the news out there we hit on today. James Harden looks like he's going to take a $15 million pay cut next season. He opted out of $47 million. He'll be down around $32 million. Not bad. Check if you can get it. He also has a player option for next year. He can opt in or out of the deal, become a free agent again next season. So James Harden looks like he's back. More on that tonight on game night and more here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. I am Mike Gill. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will talk to you on Monday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.